Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Today's episode is going to be the AFC West. We're going to continue our NFL season preview, bringing back my good friend and co-host, Connor Larson. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, what's popping, Benny? Connor, we are recording. It's getting late over there on the East Coast. Connor and I deal with the the difficulties of re- recording regular podcasts with a three-hour time difference between the two of us. I'm in the I'm on the West Coast. Connor's on the East Coast. And we constantly have to deal with trying to map out our schedules and our routines to try to make something work. Connor has been a trooper. It's past midnight over there. I can see the sleepers in his eyes. The bags are getting, <laughs> the bags are getting full under them. Uh, but he's going to be a trooper and power this one out with us here. Um, episode 76. We're going to be... When it comes to discussing football, man, and, and <laughs> coming on the pod with you, it's absolutely worth it. For sure. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, we're doing the AFC West. That's going to be the, um, you know, the the Broncos, the Chiefs, the Raiders, and the Chargers. And before we kick it off, we're going to start with a little bit of NFL news. The big the big story coming from this week so far was the trade between the New England Patriots and the Los Angeles Rams, sending Sony Michelle to Los Angeles for I think it was like a, a fifth and a sixth rounder or so. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of good for the Patriots. I mean, Michelle was a, a, a kind of a washed asset not that long ago. Had a good preseason. Finally had a healthy offseason. What was really what the difference was. We're able to get something out of him. Really, on, from the Patriots' perspective, it seems like they're just committing fully to Damon, Damon Harris. Um, and good for him. He's, I mean, by all like the advanced stats, like PFFs, like tracker information, where they they just like, like they really uh, dive into the you know the specifics of how players are moving on the football field. Damian Harris ranks really high in a lot of that stuff, um, so it'll be interesting to see what he does this season. I mean, he's from a fantasy perspective, we haven't really talked about the AFC East yet, and we'll get there. But Harris is is more of a, a running a rushing running back, not as much involved in the passing game, which kind of caps that ceiling for him from a fantasy perspective. But from a real football perspective, I think Harris is definitely going to have a great season for New England. On Los Angeles' side of the trade, I mean, what were your thoughts with Michelle going over there, Connor? I mean, I definitely think it handicaps the value of Daryl Henderson this year, where we thought he had a clear role to handle a majority of the carries based on the injury to Cam Akers. And it just clearly seems like the Rams wanted to go out there and add some running back depth, some uh, some way to share the load. Henderson's a guy who's been injured multiple seasons in a row and hasn't played a full year yet. So it's clearly them saying, we, you know, we don't necessarily trust this guy to have a full workload. Um, I think Michelle will be a decent player for them. He, 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 had some decent um, ability to catch the ball in college and he kind of profiled as that, but the Patriots didn't use him as such. Um, but I think he'll, he'll catch some passes. He'll, he'll get, you know, it's five or six, maybe 10 carries if he starts to play well. And there's definitely the opportunity for some goal line vulturing as well. You know, he's somebody who's been effective around the goal line and that's not necessarily Daryl Henderson's skill set because he is a smaller running back. So I think that the impact there is, I think it's good for the Rams. I think it bolsters the running game. Uh, and I think it's going to be a really good offense. So, you know, it's a good opportunity for Sony Michelle, who clearly lost favor in New England. So I, li- I like the move for both teams. I think it's a, it's a positive uh, overall trade, and the impact should be beneficial for both. Definitely. From a fantasy football perspective, 
what does this do to the is is Sony Michelle now trending on on your radar for fantasy? Is he going to be a guy you possibly look to add some running back depth to the back of your bench? And then also the flip side of that coin is what what does this do to Daryl Henderson's value in fantasy? I think it definitely hurts Daryl Henderson's value more than it increases Sony Michelle's value because I think he was probably going to have a similar role in New England where you know he he would spell Damian Harris. Um, I think Damon Harris gets a little bit of a boost in value, um, but it, it also shows that, you know, Belichick has confidence in JJ Taylor and Ramondre Stevenson, who have both looked very electric in the preseason. And then, you know, when it comes to the Rams, like, I just, I don't see a, a clear path unless Daryl Henderson gets hurt for Sony Michelle to have real impact value. So maybe nothing more is like a handcuff. Yeah. Um, I think it was just a smart move for the Rams. I mean, they're not thinking in terms of fantasy football. They're not like us trying to be like, how's the workload going to work out? Like, what's what? Are, who's going to carry it at the goal line? Like, how how are they going to share time in the backfield? Like, that's not what McVay's thinking when he acquires a guy like Sony Michelle because obviously their their young talented running back Cam Akers was out is out for the year with the with the uh, torn Achilles. They have Daryl Henderson who has a history of injuries in his own right. They don't really have a whole lot of backup that, um, behind him. I think what Jake Funk and I can't remember the other backup saying that. I mean, Xavier Jones, I think. Yeah, sounds right. I think so. Xavier Jones. Uh, that might be it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously, I don't really, I barely even know the guy's name. So, like, that kind of tells you. I mean, they don't really have that much depth behind uh, Henderson, and then they bring in Michelle, who has been solid throughout his career. I've, I've always kind of been the Sony Michelle guy, and I felt like. Um, his fantasy value was capped because he was in New England. He was just one of those New England running backs that like just gets lost in the work shuffle. Um, you know, is more of a valuable asset on the field than in fantasy. Um, just a, a good player for New England. I think that's what the, the Rams are looking to get out of him. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Michelle kind of get another um, another shot at you know revitalizing that career. I honestly think that I would consider Michelle a little more fantasy relevant. Obviously, more fantasy relevant than he was with New England. Um, but you, I would definitely, at, at the very least, keep him on my watch list should he go undrafted. Um, and I, I would not be surprised to see him start to get picked picked up, you know, late in drafts. Um, you know, one dollar bids and auctions, and and your last rounds or a filler in your in your bench, something along those lines. I think isn't is isn't out of um, you know, out of uh, it's that's not too out of the picture because yeah we've seen we've seen the rams go to committee backfields in recent in recent history i mean malcolm brown's had a role in this backfield it seems like ever since todd Gurley left or even when Gurley was injured um when he whenever he was with uh the los angeles rams and um i just think that daryl henderson is not going to eat up 100 percent of that work share and it's going to leave the door open for a guy like michelle to you know have a decent career um, in Los Angeles to kind of reboost that career that he's had, um, you know, because he's he's a professional, he's a good running back. He, he yeah, he's a former former first over or first round pick, I should say. Yeah, so I, I like it. I like the move for both sides, um, and from a fantasy perspective, it does make it intriguing. I honestly would now probably consider Daryl Henderson too pricey for me to go after. He, I I just I, I would stay away from him honestly because it seems like the Rams are just hesitant to go to him a hundred percent. You rely on him as the workhorse back. And that's kind of alarming when you're when the team does that. I mean, right now I think he's still being selected in like the RB twenty to twenty three range or so. That's just too pricey of, of a price tag for me, um, considering his his injury history. Considering he hasn't ever been the top dog in this backfield, 
He wasn't expecting to be the guy heading into into training camp. Kind of got thrust into that role. Um, and I think he didn't he have something pop up in terms of an injury already in camp. He, he did. He already had a minor injury crop up. So yeah. Now I'm I'm sure the Rams are satisfied to have another running back in the backfield. And you know, more along that same vein, we we've seen backup running backs on the Rams have a lot of value. You mentioned Malcolm Brown. And uh, I was thinking about when they signed CJ Anderson and yeah. it was near the Bad end of his back. career, but Bad for back. a four or five game stretch, he was putting up a hundred yard games, multiple yeah. touchdown games. So, you know, th- this is going to be a very viable fantasy position. Um, you know, the Rams are going to score a lot of points. McVay loves to run near the goal line. So you're absolutely right. That Sony Michelle is somebody who should be on your watch list at least. Definitely. All right, other other running back news. Travis Etienne, the the Clemson standout coming into the uh the Jacksonville Jaguars this year was a first round pick. The Jags traded up to get him. That was their guy they wanted. And he was they were gonna pair him with his college teammate uh in Lawrence, and Etienne goes out with the Liz Frank injury and you could just yank him right off your rankings. I know that a lot of people at this early in the season don't really believe that, you know, if a guy's injured, maybe he comes back later in the year. No, he's not coming back. He's already been listed on the IR. That means tech- technically, he, I mean, literally, he's not allowed to play this season if he's listed on the IR this early. Um, so he, he, he he's not like in the rule book here. He's not allowed to play this year. So. Do not draft him. Keep t- do not like monitor his his workload during the year unless you're in a dynasty league. You know, ETN has no value to you in to you in redraft league. So, fantasy owners definitely aren't gonna uh, gonna want to avoid him. It's gonna suck for the guys that get auto picked and then you know they get ETN like in the in the ninth round or something like that. Oh. <laughs> or the guys who drafted last week and took him in the third round or fourth round. Right. And that's why you shouldn't draft early. You should wait till the week of the last last game, last week of the preseason, the week of the kickoff, if you can. Yeah. Get you all the information. Draft. And you should definitely and show up. <laughs> Don't be the asshole who doesn't show up to the draft and auto picks the first five players. And don't bow out after you get your first three picks either. Just dip. Be like, all right, that's enough. Yeah. If you're gonna play, if you're gonna play fantasy football, play fantasy football. <laughs> All right, with e- with the ETN news, how how high does um, Robinson James Robinson's draft stock rise for you? Where is he looking at now for you? You know, I think he he kind of pushes into that David Montgomery, Chris Carson, Miles Gaskin range. I was going to say Daryl Henderson, but I'm probably going to move Daryl Henderson down in my rankings a few slots. So you know, I think I would put him put him right in that area. I haven't I haven't moved him accordingly. I had him 24, so I, don't, I think he maybe leaps five spots or so in the back end. He's a, he's a back end RB2 probably. Yeah. I myself have him as the RB18 right now currently um, after the after the ETN news. I have him ahead of guys like David Montgomery, Josh Jacobs, J.K. Dobbins, Mike Davis, Kareem Hunt, Miles Gaskins, um, and Damian Harris. Those are the guys I have immediately behind him. In front of Robinson immediately, I have Miles Sanders, DeAndre Swift, Chris Carson, Clyde Edwards-Elair, and Joe Mixon. Um, I think that's kind of the sweet spot for Robinson. You know, he had an a awesome season last year, and you you can't overlook that, especially if he's going to, you know, be given the full share of this backfield work. Um, you know, honestly, 18 could be even light for him. You know, he could be a top 15 running back because he where he finished last year, where he was easily in the top 10. Yeah, for sure. He was top five for a lot of the year. He might have finished there too. 
Yeah, he was a, a a league winner for some guys. I know. I don't think he finished the season too strong. I think he might have got hurt or he missed a game or something. Um, but he definitely got guys to the playoffs, and that's all. That's a lot. That's a lot to ask for from a guy who went undrafted. Um, In point five PPR, he finished seventh overall. Yeah. See, I mean, excellent, excellent season from Robinson last year. I would not be surprised to see something even similar to to uh, that you know type of performance again this season. And it feels like he's going to kind of round out that upside you know those guys that are i think i think it looks like to me like robinson's gonna get vaulted into that top class of guys where i i want at least one i i need at least one i would like two of these top 18 backs um Mm -hmm. just just the upside um these guys in my rankings like the upside of these players that i have these running backs i have in the top 18 like i want to walk away from every one of my drafts this this season um, with at least one and preferably two of these running backs I have here because um, I think the stability and the upside that these guys all possess are uh, a lot higher than the drop-off after Robinson there where you get Montgomery, um, who's not a very efficient running back. We talked about him on the episode in the NFC North with the with the Bears. Josh Jacobs, you know, Kenyon Drake news. We'll talk about the Raiders in this episode. Um, very uncertain to see how that's going to look out. J.K. Dobbins loses a ton of goal line work to Lamar Jackson. Has never received more than 15 carries ever in a game. Mike Davis is uh, one of the most bland options out there. Um, one somebody who actually I think is a little bit underrated, but he's starting to creep up some draft rankings, and the value of a guy like Mike Davis is actually starting to decrease in terms of where his draft stock is now creeping up towards. You know, there's there's just not as much upside for guys that drop off after this 18 spot. I have Robinson in. Yeah, I agree. All right, Connor, let's get into it now. We are going to be talking about the AFC West division. Let's kick it off here with the Denver Broncos. Last year, the Broncos finished 5-11. and 11. The over-under win total on the season coming in this year, 8.5. They are plus 700 to pl- about plus 900 to win this division. I've seen that. I've, I usually try to go into Vegas at Vegas Insider and uh, FanDuel and DraftKings to try to pull some of those odds. Um, for this season, I mean, the news came out this week that Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the starting quarterback for Denver. Um it's going to look like a different team this year. I mean, last year they had a lot of um, instability in the offense, a lot of uh, difficulties with the health, and they. Um, I mean, look at you. Just look at the QB's position specifically. Um, they they started in different games: Drew Locke, Dr- uh, Jeff Driscoll, Brett Ripon, and Kendall Hinton. All in, they all started a game for them last year. The last one was a wide receiver, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think completed like what two passes, three passes on the day. They do like yeah, two, three or four picks. Like yeah, so Denver last year was just obliterated by injuries, and honestly, um, it was a wash season for them. And coming into this year, they're going to see if they, you know they get some better health. They get guys like Von Miller back. They get Teddy Bridgewater behind center. It's going to be more of a consistent option for them. Um, you know, Corlin Sutton is a uber talented wide receiver option. That's cursed. I mean, from a, we'll get to the fantasy. He's starting to creep down fantasy list with with that upside. I mean, Sutton is definitely someone that both Denver and fantasy owners are excited to have back. Um, Connor, what are your initial thoughts here with the Denver Broncos heading into the season? I think that it's a it's a boost to the the 
wide receiver values now that they have Teddy Bridgewater um, compared to Drew Locke. I mean, Jerry Judy was, a, I think, top five or top ten in the league in terms of off-target throws last year. Somebody who uh, is an extremely talented that. wide receiver. It was worse and than I mean, he, he came out of the draft and he was looked just as highly upon as a guy like CeeDee Lamb. And what really was holding him back was the quarterback play. I think they actually ended the year last year with pretty similar stats, mm-hmm. considering they both essentially were playing with backup quarterbacks the whole year. And I think that while Teddy Bridgewater isn't Dak, he's certainly an improvement over Locke. He carried three fantasy wide receivers to top 30 finishes last year and DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and, and uh, Curtis Samuel, two of whom went over 1,000 yards. Um, so if you consider that Jerry Judy was at uh, around 900 yards last year, and if you throw away the uh, the game where a, a wide receiver played quarterback, he could have easily been at 1,000 too. Um, so I think he he's in a great position this year, that being Jerry Judy. I think Cortland Sutton will – it all depends on how he returns from injury. Um, but – I definitely like the upside for these receivers with Bridgewater. He's an accurate quarterback. I think the thing that they're going to lack is is touchdown upside. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater has ever thrown for more than 15 touchdowns in a season. So I think the yards will be there. The question is, can they score enough touchdowns to be extremely relevant in fantasy? Yeah. It's interesting when you compare these guys, Bridgewater and Locke, and the fact that they're teammates is, is is kind of funny because they're literally like opposite style players. Like Locke is so boom and bust, and, and it's more bust than boom. But mm-hmm. like that, like the 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 uh, the Broncos fans that like want to go all in, the, the heavy gamblers, the the degenerate gamblers for Denver, like they really just like I, I like Locke's upside. I want him out there. He's gonna raise the ceiling for Denver. But like it's okay when he throws four interceptions for you with like a fifty percent completion percentage. Locke was 29th in EPA per play last year, zero point zero seven five uh, zero seven five EPA for him. Bridgewater was seventeenth. Um, EPA per play 0.1223 and for the listeners Ben if, if they're just joining and they're course. catching this episode for the first time can you give a brief explanation Definitely. of EPA yeah EPA expected points added it measures how well a team performs relative to expectation EPA attempts to quantify plays by a value that demonstrates how much they increase or decrease a team's chances of scoring um, essentially it just kind of tells you the value it like in terms of points that a specific play is um and it's pretty interesting epa is, is i like epa because it gives you the ability to to filter out specific plays and so you could get a, a a good snapshot of specific types of plays and specific players like in this instance i just gave you bridgewater and all the plays that he's been he was involved in last year but you could you could narrow it down to like rushing plays uh, passing plays, third downs, red zone offense. Like you could, you could narrow, you could filter out to to focus on specific play types. Um, last year, though, w- going back to you know the comparisons between Bridgewater and Locke, um, really just like L- Bridgewater is the e- the epitome of mediocrity and and just like league average. And he's not going to be a professional much- quarterback. It's, it's yeah. about. He's it's not, about an accurate description. For he's sure. in that kind of that. Con, he's probably in like the bottom tier of that that group of like Matt Ryan, uh, Kirk Cousins, 
Um, you know, Tannehill used to be in this kind of tier, but you know, he's kind of vaulted himself. He kind of scratched and clawed his way out of this this <laughs> this uh, t- tier of quarterbacks that you don't really want to be a part of. He scratched um, and clawed away from Adam Gase. I think yeah. that was the key. Yeah. <laughs> and he, it's like the these this group of quarterbacks are like they don't raise your team's ceiling too much, but they also keep you from losing too much. Like they keep your right. your, your your head level. They keep it steady. Uh, they keep the ship straight. And uh, mm-hmm. Bridgewater's going to do that for Denver this year. And, I mean, go figure. It kind of fits this style of the team. I mean, Vic Fangio coming from Chicago a couple of years ago, um, is he's he is an ex- incredibly conservative head coach. Very just a defensive-minded type of coach and doesn't really like to take too many gambles on the offensive end. They ran the ball last year. I think Denver was one of the league leading rush uh, rates last year. I don't have the stat right in front of me. I wrote it down somewhere, but um, Denver, it, they they ran the ball a lot last year and they were, weren't, weren't particularly efficient with it. And um, this year, I, I mean, I think it's just going to be a lot of short passes from Trey Bridgewater. Bridgewater does not stretch the field by any means. He's kind of a short, short pass type of guy. Um, and, and when you look at the completion percentage for guys like Bridgewater and Locke, uh, as the you know the depth of target increases, you, uh, Bridgewater is ahead of Locke across the board. But it's, it's just interesting to see Bridgewater's completion percentage fl- ebb and flow in terms of the depth of target. He's he's a well above league average in in throws from like n- like zero to five yards quite about, and e- even like the the the, the, the website i was kind of looking up the stats for this on even measures like negative yard throws like screens and 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 hb screens and stuff like that bridgewater has a very high completion on the short short yardage throws um but when you get to the medium range from like 5 to 20 or 5 to 15 bridgewater's like pretty well below average and Locke is below average on like everything so that's (laughs) that's just kind of the case with him but bridgewater he he's really good at short yardage not so great at the medium tier but he also uh, has a decent completion percentage above 25 yards so well above league average out there but he doesn't the, the fact is that he doesn't go out there too often and that kind of skews those type of numbers um but the fact is bridgewater is just obviously more accurate quarterback than Locke, and they're going to be getting a guy that's going to keep this team more steady this season yeah I, I definitely agree that he'll and this is a team with a strong defense. And, and when that's the case, you kind of want a consistent quarterback that's going to keep you in games because this defense isn't going to allow other teams to run up the score too heavily to where you need a quarterback that can kind of just run and gun. You don't need a Ryan Fitzpatrick that can boom bust. So it does make sense. It's kind of like, okay, if I, similarly when he stepped in with the Saints, right, that's, that Saints team had a really good D when he played those like five-game five, five game stretch when Drew Reese was out. And he was very solid. He kept that team in games, and, and they won, you know, more than half of them. And I think we're going to see a similar situation here. I, I definitely see a leap up and, and a more consistent season overall for, for the Broncos. Yeah, for, for- – uh, for me personally, like the, we're going to get to the over-under at the very end of, the, of talking about the Broncos, but it's going to hinge on how effective the coaching staff schemes up the, the offensive play calling. Um, because last year, Drew Locke, I mean, a lot of the burden is placed on him in terms of the way, the reasons why he was a failure last year. Um, but he last year, you just look at his stats, and Bridgewater is not going to be hard pressed to improve upon them. I mean, Locke went four and nine his in his thirteen starts last year. He had the lowest adjusted completion percentage in the league, sixty eight point seven among twenty nine quarterbacks to start at least fifty percent of the team's snap. 
snaps. Um, adjusted completion percentage is it takes into account factors outside of the quarterback's control in terms of like com- in terms of completing passes. It accounts for like drops, throwaways, spike balls. Passes bad at the line of scrimmage. Passes where the QB was hit when he threw. So all those types of things. He he, he was a, one of the league worst when you take away those throws. So that's just placing the burden 100 on him. The throws where Locke is fully responsible. He was one of the league worst. The only the guys that were better than him were Wentz and Haskins. I mean, worse than him, Wentz and Haskins. Um, he damn was, Carson Wentz was that bad oh, last yeah, year. Yeah, Wentz was terrible <laughs> last season. Um, and you know. He was particularly terrible on passes over 15 yards. I talked to you about how Bridgewater's completion percentage ebbs and flows as the average depth of target increases. Locke just goes down. It's just all the way across the board. It's just it's it's horrendous when you get past 15 yards, well below league average. In 2020, last year, only 49% of Locke's passes over 15 yards were catchable. Less than half were just like even close to him, the receiver. That was the fifth worst amongst 38 qualifying quarterbacks with at least 30 attempts or more over 15 yards downfield. He was literally only ahead in in this category, only ahead of Dwayne Haskins, Mitchell Trubisky, Carson Wentz, and Sam Darnold. Um, and if you wait, if you raise the quali- qualifier for that category to 75 attempts, um, he he uh, 15 yards or more downfield lock was the worst of 18 QBs to do that. So, on his career, lock is only 40 percent of only 40 percent of his deep throws to the right side of the field have been catchable, and that's where I think Cortland Sun's going to line up, and that's 17 percent below league average across his career. Um, they're just everything you everything you look at with Locke just well below league average, one of the worst in the league. The only thing that kind of has him around league average, like his best stats are like le- barely league average. On play action throws last year, he was 16th, and then throws against defenses with split safeties, he was 17th. I mean, it's it's hard you're hard pressed to find good things about that guy. So. Bridge well, I did bring- see him on the sideline rapping along to some <laughs> some rap music, and he was doing that pretty well. Uh, I think it might have been like Meek Mill, uh, Dreams and Nightmares, or something like that. <laughs> but that might be uh, the only thing positive I could say is his uh, ad lib skills rapping. The only thing that is going to um, possibly be a down thing for Bridgewater is Bridgewater is going to be way less aggressive. And, and and in the case of Drew Locke, like aggressive throws were probably a bad thing for him last year. But it does like create those energizing plays, you know, those deep throws. He does hit one every once in a while. But it's like it's like roulette. If, it's like if you were to bet like 17 on roulette and you're just like playing that all night and you're just losing all your money. And then finally, you just hit it big. Like that's that's kind of like what Locke was last year. Just once in a blue moon would hit the hit the number and and win the jackpot and lock i mean like last year he 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 increased his rate of aggressive throws last year compared to the year before um but there's a lot of contributing factors to that i mean his, his aggressive throw rate increased by 5.5 percent last year based on the year before um it was the highest spike of any quarterback during that time span um what, since the nfl started tracking this statistics so i mean something about last year really made him want to get aggressive with the football um and, and aggressive throw rates are kind of a, ba- a balancing act in terms of effectiveness because you, you can't do it too much um because then you start making risky throws that are unnecessary but then you want to be aggressive to stretch the field and i, don't, I think bridgewater is going to tend towards the conservative side not really being aggressive and it's going to cap the ceiling of this offense um but, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into that because, like, 
it, it, it's it, it, sometimes you're too aggressive because you're not reading the defense as well because you're overconfident in your abilities because your receivers aren't uh, creating enough separation or the offense is just poorly designed. I mean, there's probably a combination of all those types of factors for Locke last year, but um, really it's just, it's going to be a different style of offense for Denver this season. Yeah. I mean, Bridgewater looked pretty decent in the preseason game so far as well. I, I, he looked excellent actually, I should say. Um, do you think there's any fantasy value for the quarterback itself of Denver, knowing that they have some pretty decent weapons? No, I'm out. I'm out on Bridgewater. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not selecting him. He, especially in, in single quarterback leagues. I mean, in two quarterback leagues, yes, you draft a guy like that. It's probably in the mid to low twenty. I mean, in terms of fantasy value, maybe you could you could make a case for him being like twenty to twenty five. Um, if he creeps creeps up a little bit higher than that, you're going to need some better play out of the offensive line. The offensive line last year ranked 21st in pass block win rate. They didn't do a ton during the offseason to move the needle on that one way or the other. So they project more or less to be another mediocre O-line. That's not going to be great for Bridgewater's fantasy success. Um, but you're, you're, you did bring up the fact that Sutton's coming back this season. I mean, and, and Judy is going to be in a sophomore year. Typically, we see guys like Judy with that type of talent make a make a good jump in a sophomore year. So he does have the pass catching weapons to you know have another successful year, Bridgewater. Um, but in terms of like single quarterback leagues, ten to, to fourteen team leagues, I'm out on Bridgewater. I'm not considering him even as a backup. Yeah, I don't think there. we even have him on our board right now, ranked. But I mean, obviously, we didn't. We didn't know he was going to be the starter, but are you are you going to take like he's probably someone that's going to finish in that fifteen to twenty range of quarterbacks because he's going to be consistent and he's going to play every game. But I don't think he's got. You're right. He's he's it's going to be seventeen points per game, and it's probably the variance is only going to be plus plus or minus two. You know, he's going to be in that thirteen to nineteen range for weekly outcomes, whereas you know a Fitzpatrick might get thirty three points in a game. would you rather have like any of those rookie quarterbacks, Mac Jones, Lance, Wilson, Fields, Lawrence? I would take all of them over over yeah. uh, over Bridgewater. The upside just isn't there for Bridgewater. You know what you're getting out of him when you pick when you pick a rookie quarterback like any of those guys you listed. Uh, you at least have the possibility of them going off, and especially um, any any of the rookies besides. Uh, Mac Jones, you also have the threat of them using their legs often, especially guys like Trey Lance and Justin Fields. They're going to be you know probably designing running plays for those guys in the offense. Um, and that's always a big boost for your fantasy stock. Um, and, yeah, and- so it's important to note that just because Bridgewater got the starting job and those other guys aren't starting, it doesn't mean that you should draft Bridgewater before them. It doesn't mean he's more valuable because there's just not the upside. You, you've been talking about it with the average depth of throws and his likelihood that he's just going to be very short, short-range targets. Um you know, I think it has a little bit to do with the offense that the Panthers were playing last year. They were a very conservative team in terms of they well, love targeting more, even more. So. They love targeting the running back. Um, you know, Mike Davis and Christian McCaffrey are both very good pass catchers. Um, Melvin Gordon doesn't necessarily profile as as a great pass catcher. Do you no, think no, that would like push Melvin them Gordon as a pass catcher? He's actually an above okay. average pass catcher. He was actually pretty involved last year in the passing game. Um but Melvin Gordon is just kind of a guy that, I, I, in, in my mind, I just for whatever reason, I just don't want to draft a guy like Melvin Gordon fantasy. I just I don't want to deal with that again. I remember a couple years ago when he was in the lockout season with with Los Angeles. I was just dealing with that all season long when I had him, and I was just I was just I'm out on him. I just I, the upside just isn't there for me anymore for a guy like him. Um, but I mean, talk, the, the Javante Williams factor too. He's a second sure. round pick. 
For sure. He, he, he's going to eat into those carries. And, I mean, he could end up winning the starting job, Melvin Gordon, sure. in the last year of his contract. For sure. I, I put a, put a, hold on to Javante for just a second because I did want to touch on um, the offense, what this is going to look like. One last point about them is, um, in addition to the Bridgewater factor, I, I just think that this offense is just going to be incredibly bland once again. Um, and so I keep continue to hit on this. It's just the ceiling's just not high for them. Um, on the offensive side, in my opinion. I mean, Pat Shermer, the offensive coordinator coming from Minnesota, he's just a, a very old school out he, uh, coach. He's a very old school coach implementing like a lot of outdated strategies on the offensive side of the football. Last year, his whole scheme was all about trying to run the ball often and early downs to create a second and long to try to set up a third and man- manageable. He was trying to just create like third down scenarios that were just manageable for the offense. And that's just not, that's just not a, an efficient strategy in modern, modern NFL offenses. Um, and it's really just an old school type of strategy. And I mean, last year, in the first half, Denver averaged 8.2 yards to go on second downs. That was the worst of any team in the NFL. That was the, the, the second place. The second worst was 7.9. So they were 0.3 yards worse than the, any other team on second downs. So that just means that they were incredibly inefficient on first down. And they were, what, they, what were they doing on those first downs? They were running the ball. They ran the ball for the third highest rate on early downs last year in the NFL. That's not smart. That's not an efficient offense. Um, and we're going to talk about Kansas City. Kansas City is like the opposite of this. Like they just, they call that Kansas City is all about uh, pre-snap motions, play actions, trying to confuse the defense. And Denver was just like so bland. They were so predictable. They ended up averaging uh, 7.9, 7.9 yards to go on third downs. That was the worst in the NFL. No other team was worse than seven and a half yards. Even when the even when like looking at the full game, Denver was still the worst team in the NFL running the ball. 46% of their second and long plays, that was six... Uh, 46% of their plays on second and long were, were runs. Uh, that's sixth most in the NFL. Shermer ran the ball over 50% of the time on first downs, even though they had a bottom five yards per carry rank. Then he continued to run the ball at one of the league's highest rates in the NFL on second and long to try to set up those third and manageable plays for a young, struggling quarterback like Drew Locke. So that's not a strategy for success. With Bridgewater, it's going to be a little bit more manageable to try to implement something like this. But if, if Shermer wants to have an offense that is... Um, highly efficient and moves the football and scores a lot of points. Like that's not how you do it. And I just I don't think that he's going to be um, at this point in his career uh, making too many adjustments to what he likes to do with the football on the offensive side. Um, Denver for me is just a little bit capped on that on that end. Um, so uh, keeping that in mind, like that kind of hinders a little bit of the fantasy values for a lot of the guys on this offense for me. Um, and while Bridgewater is going to bring more stability, I think it caps a lot of the upside for guys, specifically like uh, Jerry Judy and Corlin Sutton, who are capable of really stretching the ball downfield. But in this offense, are they really going to be doing that? That's the big question. Yeah. If, I mean, if you had to pick between Jerry Judy and Corlin Sutton for a fantasy draft, which guy would you rather have on your team? I mean, that's a good question. Um, I think a lot of people are thinking Jerry Judy is the guy to go to um, just because of the upside. But really, for me, I think Cortland Sutton is just being slept on too hard. I mean, Sutton's being selected right now only four spots ahead of Judy, 81st to 85th. Um, Judy's the sexy pick, but Sutton's like... I think it's the better value. I mean, Sutton, I know he he had the ACL injury last year, and and I don't think they're saying that he's, you know, no way. I'm thinking Sutton is looking really healthy. He was running routes last spring. I heard Stefania Bell talking about that today. So Sutton. The coach mentioned he looked a bit tentative in practice, but that's kind of to be expected. 
I heard I heard Stefania Bell talking about it on the Fantasy Focus podcast at ESPN today. Uh, they had their their uh, daily what do you call it the uh, daily duo, double trouble double trouble. Um, they, they covered the Broncos I think today, and um, they, she was talking about how Sutton has been running routes since like last spring. He's been he, mm-hmm. you know he's been recovering from this ACL injury for a while now, and um, I think he's going to be fully healthy when the season goes. And so I I really wouldn't put that that risk or like that negative you know check demerit against him i wouldn't i wouldn't hold that against him too much is what i'm saying like judy mm-hmm. is the sexy pick you know last year they were, he was 50 only 58.2 percent of his balls were catchable and his targets were catchable. Yeah, second worst second lowest among all wideouts with 50 or more targets only aj yeah. green only aj green had worse so there you go so i said top five and you were like that's not enough yeah. <laughs> you have the stat it's uh it was not good for Judy last year, and so the upside is there for a guy like him. But Sutton is, you know, he he's being he's being forgot about too much. Sutton's a really excellent receiver, um, and so look, I'm 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 very interested in in, in selecting both these receivers um, on my fantasy rosters this this season. Uh, I just wouldn't expect like too much variance from them in terms of. Mm. I think that they're going to be high targets, and that's where they're going to that's where they're going to get their um, their biggest point values. I think PPR and half PPR leagues are going to be a little bit more valuable for guys like this um, because of the fact that they just they're not going to be like leading the league in deep throws, and they're not going to be leading the league in long long passes. Maybe these guys have good yak yardages this year, yards after the catch, um, but that's really what's going to be thro- like pushing those those deep throws for them because like they're not going to be catching big air yards from Bridgewater is my guess. Yeah. I, I kind of lean more on the Judy side, but I get what you're saying. I think they're both no, you're, strong values. You're with the, the popular opinion. I mean, Judy is, is continuing to trend upward in fantasy drafts and yeah. Suns continue to trend downwards. But for me, I just think that, um, you know, the fantasy community is pretty smart and Sutton was consistently ranked higher than Judy coming into like the preseason. Um, and that just has been trending in opposite directions and there's really no news or really no reason that that's been happening. But besides the fact that, you know, people keep talking about Jerry Judy and not about Cortland Sutton. So for me, it's just like the reason why these two players are trending in different directions is just because the way that people are talking about them, there's no real reason why. At least I haven't heard mm-hmm. anything. Well, the the second year breakout for wide receivers is definitely it's uh, it's, it's 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 a real thing. Yeah, as they get used to the league, they used to route running. This is his second year too. Uh, he, I thought he broke out in his second year, and then he got injured last year, which was his third. Oh, this is his third year, right? I thought his second year he had uh, like a top twenty type of season, or was it? Yeah, I think so. Um, but the reason I like Jerry Judy a little bit more, and this kind of goes to the mindset of Teddy Bridgewater being a conservative pass uh, passer, is that Jerry Judy's just known as an elite route runner. He has that extreme quickness on short routes that's going to allow him to be more open and more visible on those shorter plays. Whereas I think Sutton is more of the big deep ball guy who's able to stretch the field and go up and catch contested passes. I just don't think... Teddy's going to necessarily put the ball in into those contested type of catches for Sutton to really show how good he is in that arena. Additionally, I do think Sutton is the better um, red zone target, again, being the bigger wide receiver, um, you know, and he's had big touchdown years already in his career. 
the reason I'm hesitant there with Bridgewater being quarterback is that he Bridgewater's not a high volume touchdown passer. He's only ever had 15 in his career in a season. So I think the upside lands with the catches and the yards. And I think that's going to be more on Judy side. I think Judy will be the more consistent player, but I, I, I would say that Sutton does have more upside on a game to game basis for like the, you know, the, the 130 yards in two touchdown type of games. Whereas I think Jerry Judy could have the 11 catches for 86 yards type of games. Makes sense. All right. How are you feeling about just quickly, quickly touch about on uh, the tight end, Noah Fant, and then we'll transition to Javante Williams super quickly, and then we'll go to the over-unders. Any, 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 where do you have Noah Fant in your rankings right now? So we briefly talked about how second-year wide receivers tend to break out. For tight ends, it's actually the third year. It's a little bit more of a complicated position because it's not only – the route running, but you also have to factor in the blocking. And so it typically takes longer for tight ends to adjust to the league. So I do think Fant could it possibly take that next level up. He completely profiles as an extremely athletic pass catcher. If the average depth of target for Teddy Bridgewater is going to be shorter, it does mean more tight end targets because these aren't the guys who are, you know, jaunting down the field for 30 yards. He's not he's not a field stretcher, but he is athletic, so you get the ball in his hands and he could take it 70 yards after the catch. He did it multiple times. I think a lot of his issues have stemmed from uh, the quarterback play and the fact that it, there hasn't been any consistency there. So when you're talking about boom, bust, touchdown, upside, tight ends, I think Noah Fant is kind of in that Evan Ingram range where I would like to take him over some of the more reliable but more boring tight ends. I think he is a, a decent option this year and, and somebody who has the skills to be like a top seven tight end for a finish on the year. I agree. I, I like the upside on Fant. What, do you, what are your thoughts on Javante Williams coming out of North Carolina? Really talented running back, young guy. Uh, thought to have had some. He, he thought to uh, have some some pretty good uh, skills with the with the passing game as well. Someone who uh, the, the Broncos are pretty optimistic about. He's been flying up draft boards this preseason. His ADP now has soared to sixty seven overall. That's the RB twenty nine. Um, one of the more intriguing rookie options of fantasy this year. Are, are you are you targeting a guy like Williams in your fantasy drafts this season? I, I like him if he falls to the right value, um, but he you have to recognize he's got to be more of a stash on play. I think it's similar to what we saw last year with Cam Akers and DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor. These rookie running backs, when there's a a running back in front of them who is is a veteran it typically takes about half a season At for least. them to take over that starting job and get consistent starter reps so where Javante might win you your league in the playoffs and in the back half of the year he might also be the reason you don't make the playoffs if you rely on him as your RB2 I think if he's your RB3 or a stash and you're waiting for him to break out then you're in a much better position I certainly wouldn't rely on him to be a week one starter though so back half of the season I really like Javante no, I like that analysis. Um, for me, I'm a little bit more optimistic about even just the early season with him um, because we saw how involved Philip Lindsay was last year, even 
uh, with Melvin Gordon in the backfield. Uh, I think Denver's definitely, especially early on, early on going to be happy to split the carries between these two guys. Um, and with the conservative offensive tack that I've been telling you about, they have a commitment to the running game. The offensive line is going to cap the upside just a little bit because I told you about how limited and mediocre they are. But I think Williams is a very talented running back. And, he, you know, he's not unfamiliar with sharing the workload in the backfield. In North Carolina, he was he was his running mate was Michael Carter, who's now one of the higher upside rookies as well with the, with the New York Jets. Um, and then you look at his last season with North Carolina. He's coming off the best season easily of his football career, probably. Ran for uh, 1,445 yards, 22 touchdowns, 25 catches, 305 yards, and three more touchdowns. That was an excellent season from him, working alongside Michael Carter. And Tackler splitting the workload. Holy. Yeah. And he, I mean, he, and he's a tackle-breaking machine, Javante Williams. Um PFF credited Williams with a 0.48 broken tackles per attempt, which was the most by a running back since they began charting that in college run in college running backs. Um, so he's going to break a lot of tackles. He's a, a big back, hard to bring wow. down. He's going to be look. Melvin Gordon's literally the only thing kind of limiting this guy from being. Um, if, if Melvin Gordon wasn't in Denver, he would be you know a top top two round pick in fantasy drafts is my opinion. I mean, if Melvin Gordon was there and look, Melvin Gordon at this point in his career, how old is he now? He's 28. How many carries does he have? He has, um, one, he has 1,274 carries under his belt. That's on the, that's sort of on the wrong side of a thousand trust 12, over 1200 carries is a lot, a lot of wear and tear for a running back. Um, Melvin Gordon probably has best seasons behind him last year. Average yards per attempt, 4.6, actually not that bad. But the year before that with the chargers is last season with them 3.8. Um, I just I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for Javante, and like you said, I think his his peak in the season is going to be when it matters most in fantasy is going to be the season the, the fantasy playoffs. So I like that for him. Yeah, the the history for these older running backs once they get to 28, 29, 30, that's where you really see the wheels start to fall off, and there's also a history <laughs> of. <laughs> um, you all, there's all just there's just also a history of first and second round running backs in the first season that they're drafted taking over the starting job midseason. It happens so often. So I wouldn't be shocked if Melvin Gordon, they just kind of like overused him in the first half of the season just because they have him on a big money contract. Mm-hmm. But they're they're going to be moving on. Javante Williams is the future. So you know back half of the year I, I really like him and and you are right to say that you know they use Philip Lindsay a lot too. And both those guys push for a thousand yards uh i think melvin gordon just came under um but yeah there's certainly enough of the ball to go around in in a run heavy offense that likes to lean on running backs if they're going to play conservatively and we know teddy bridgewater loves to target his running backs too and if javante's skill set is more apt as a pass catcher than uh, melvin gordon there's certainly a lot of fantasy points to be had that way very true all right connor i love that we real, spent so real quick question so draft say your 70th pick in the draft melvin gordon and javante williams are there who are you taking i'm always going to lean towards the upside typically especially with running backs i mean the possibility of getting a, a solid rb2 that javante has that ceiling to be uh, i'm gonna go with javante yeah that makes sense. And I wouldn't be surprised if Melvin Gordon ended the year with more fantasy points because I think from the from the get-go he'll have more carries. But the back half of the season is where it's really gonna gonna matter for, you know, where the money is. And so that's that's where you want the, the young guy coming up. Yeah. 
I'm looking at I'm looking at ADP right now, and I think the consensus kind of agrees with me. Javante's right now creeping up to the 65th spot. Melvin Gordon down to 75. So there's a 10. There's a one round difference almost essentially. Um, all right, Connor. Do I like that we talked so much about Denver because they're one of the more intriguing teams for me this season. And the over under pick eight and a half was so tough for me. One of the teams that like I de- I did I deliberated about this one internally like for a while. Like it's 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 a tough one, and I, it's it's really like for me. I just I just don't like conservative teams in this in this in this NFL in this NFL landscape. I think like the the aggressive, the more um, pass uh, heavy offenses and the, like the more higher octane offenses, like those ones just like seem to catch catch my eye more, and, and I'm more optimistic for. But the eight and a half win total is pretty low, and it's 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 easy to see. The, that this team is a top without I me mean, take away the quarterback positions across the board other than the quarterback position this team is you know probably a top 10 talent team um and if you give them a little bit better health this year it's pretty easy to see how they get to that eight eight and a half nine win total um but you know i just don't like the coaching staff i'm just pessimistic about the ability for fangio dick fangio and, and pat schumer to get creative enough on offense to Make take the take some of the burden off of this defense because the defense is excellent. You already tell, you already said that Von Miller's coming back. They acquired Ronald Darby and Kyle Fuller, who are both excellent cornerbacks, and then they drafted Patrick Sertan instead of Justin Fields and uh, Mac Jones. Like they clearly think a lot of that guy, and they bring in a guy like that. They really showed up the, the secondary. I think this defense is going to be elite. But we're talking about a three and a half win upgrade from last year to this year. They won only five games last year. Um, and, and that's that's a tall order for any team. And like I said, Denver has the potential to do it, but I'm just I'm pessimistic about this this coaching staff and their ability to steer this team in the right direction. I'm taking the under. Yeah, I mean the, the, you're right on. It's a tough one for me too. I'm I'm not the popular opinion. A lot of people like the over on this. And, and I could see why. I see why. It feels right, you know. It feels like a good line at eight and a half. But I, I'd probably lean the under as well, just because they don't have the high upside, and yet they play in a very high upside division, playing good point. You know, the Chargers. And, All and these the offenses Chiefs. are better that we're going to be talking about. They have the worst offense in this division. And if you're going to be playing conservative, can you play from behind? Can you play catch up? I don't know. I think it's going to be difficult. I, I, I probably lean the under there. I think there's just too much top end talent in their schedule. And I think they're too. The thing with the schedule, oatmeal, though, is like, you know, they're. The thing with the schedule, though, is like they have the second second easiest schedule and according to the win total, current win total projections right now. I mean, the 17th game is against Detroit, like their, their extra opponents, Detroit. So that's an extra. Always one. helpful. Yeah. Um, I could totally see why a lot of people like the over in here, which is why I'm taking the under. It's kind of like a, a reverse psychology type of ordeal for me because I think that so many people are optimistic about this team and their talent. Something I think is just going to go wrong, and I think this coaching staff is just not capable of implementing enough creative creativity to make adjustments when things are inevitably going to go wrong because last year we already saw that if things start to go wrong, they will snowball. And I think that that's very possible for this team. 
but the- yeah i think we were very much in lockstep <laughs> Not, no joke and, intended there with the broncos yeah what's funny too here is like there's a world here where like the eight and a half is the lock of the season where deshaun watson is per- permitted to play and denver has the talent to trade for a guy like that and they they go and get Deshaun Watson and Watson's for some reason allowed to play this season and he, that just shoots the ceiling for this offense through the roof. Can you imagine Deshaun oh Watson my God. playing in this, oh. in this offense? Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton would be being taken <laughs> 10, 20 picks higher if that Easily. were the case. Yeah. It would be incredible. I mean, we saw what Deshaun, Deshaun revitalized Brandon Cook's career last year and he turned Will Fuller into a top 10 fantasy player for those, I don't know, 12 games that he played. Yeah. I mean, that would just be incredible for this team. Uh, That would vaunt them into like, like Super Bowl sleeper, honestly. For sure. All right. Let's go to the next team. We're both leaning under on Denver. Oh, if they had gotten Rodgers too. Oh, that would have been so fun. I think this year is a little bit of an audition for Aaron Rodgers too. They want to show like that. They want, it's like the Tampa Bay season before they got Brady. Like they're trying to. Yeah. Look at all the pieces we have. They got the skeleton for a good team, but we just need the final piece. And that, that might be what this year's about for them. All right. Let's look at the Kansas City Chiefs. Last year, they were 14 and two. They made the Super Bowl, lost to famously to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Their over-under win total line on the season is 12 and a half. They are minus 290, minus 275 to win the win the uh, the AFC West. And the, the key for them, their area of weakness that they went out and directly ad- addressed her in the offseason was the offensive line. We saw in the Super Bowl, Pat, Pat Mahomes, um, how many QB hits and knockdowns was he did he have during a Super Bowl? I can't remember the stat. It was something like 13 to 15 or so. I think 100% of plays he was hit or knocked yeah. down on. I like for the, his life. I think, yeah, like the tracking stats had him running like, what, like five or six miles at least. I think he might have been more than that. Oh, I, I haven't run that long in a year. <laughs> oh, my God. So, I mean, clearly the offensive line was the problem for them. They went out and they remade it completely. They have five new starters coming into the year. They traded for left tackle Orlando Brown. They signed Joe Thune. They spent a second-round draft pick on center Creed Humphrey. Uh, guard Laurent Duvernay-Tardif and tackle Lucas Nyang are, ba- are coming back from um, opt-outs last year. They're going to offer some depth on the offensive front. The, out- the offensive line, like I said, five new starters. The only the only new starters in the KC offense is going to be this offensive line. Everybody else is coming back. The wide receiver, the wide receiver starters, the tight end, obviously Kelsey. Mahomes is back, obviously. So um, the only turnover here is on the O-line. And we'll have to we'll have to wait and see if they made the right decision on this because they didn't really make a lot of moves outside of that offensive line was that literally the only problem Kansas City had last year I mean I would think so based on the fact that they were 14 and 2 and made it to the Super Bowl and from that game their own clear weakness their Achilles heel was the O-line and you know they had people on the O-line go down during the playoffs too which just exacerbated the issue and, you know, Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback. He's, you know, the future of the NFL. He's the present of the NFL. you got to protect that asset. And I think they're trying to do that. I, otherwise, their skill position players are near the top of the league. They they have a well, fantastic they? set. Are they? Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, That's Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I mean, that trio is All fantastic. Right, like, I'll give you Alaire. I like Alaire a lot. But you take away, if one of those guys gets hurt, like, what does it look like after them? 
I mean, we've seen what happens when Tyreek Hill goes down. It's it's a mix of Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, and Michael Hardman, Gross. all sub four five wide receivers who can stretch the field. They've they but they've all had wow. big games in his absence. I'm you know, they they're not. I, I'm not going to take those guys specifically, but any one of the three could go for 150 yards and a touchdown because they're all extremely athletic, extremely fast field stretchers. I think the biggest loss to them and the biggest potential loss aside from Patrick Mahomes would probably be Travis Kelsey because he's the safety blanket. Yeah. Honestly, Loki kind of feels like losing Sammy Watkins is hurting this, this offense too. Because Sammy Watkins, I think, was at least when he was playing, he was a pretty stable He's presence. good. Yeah. He's good. Um, look, I mean, Kelsey has played at least 15 games in each of the last six seasons. That's like unsustainable type of health. Like, that's crazy. At least 15 He did games five 1,000 yard seasons in a row. That's crazy. Like, Look, I'm not what? predicting. I'm not predicting him to not, you know, continue this incredible stretch of consistency. But like, when is it coming? Because if you calling for an injury to Kelsey this year? No. Nope. Uh, if he tears his ACL week three, I'm sending him a message. I'll be like, look at this clip from Ben Perez. He called your downfall. Man, it's just it's I've, it's. Did Gronk ever have this type of long like sustained excellence? I can't remember him being like this. He was too long. hurt. Right, he was too hurt too often. The 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 hot, the peaks of Gronk were like up there as like one of the best ever. But I mean, like Kelsey, the sustained, to, sustained excellence is just like it's unprecedented. It's crazy what this guy has accomplished. And then his running mate Tyreek Hill, he's averaged fourteen games played over the last four seasons, so he's been inc- incredibly healthy too. It's kind of funny because when he was in a young when he was a young up and coming receiver, he was kind of thought of as being you know, shaky in the health department. And he's, he's put mm-hmm. together a good stretch of games here now. Um, and my major question for Kansas city is just whether or not, if one of those two weapons goes down, like for any, any, any extent of time, like any extended period of time, like they could be in a bit of trouble because I just, I, I have a hard time trusting Miko Harmon and Demarcus Robinson as one of my second, my one or two options in this offense. Like Mahomes, he can make any receiver look good. And I think you put Hardman and Robinson and Pringle on other offenses, like they're like barely catching two or three passes a game. Barely. Yeah, watching the preseason, you know, McCall and Mahomes has played a lot because of that new offensive line. They really want him to get yeah. used to that new system. So he's he's played a, like a full half. Yeah. Um, and and you, you assume that they're they, going to, if they go in, deep into the playoffs, like that's going to be like a 20 plus game season for him. So. Yeah, that's that. true. Wearing a little bit of wear and tear, but um, Miko Hardman and Mahomes were not on the same page that the game I watched. I think he targeted him like seven times and only had two catches. He was yelling at him, barking at him in the huddle. Yeah. He was like, you, "Why'd you stop there on the route? You why didn't you turn this way?" I'm I'm worried that people are going to take Miko Hardman thinking he's the number two wide receiver on the Kansas City Chiefs offense, expecting you know. Robert Woods type of production, you know, being the number two wide receiver on the rant, it's just not going to happen. Even though this team is so high volume and so electric, Sammy Watkins never had sustained fantasy value there. And he was good. Nicole Hardman's not as good as Sammy Watkins was. I don't think he's going to have any type of sustained value. Yeah. And Hardman's not a stranger to injury himself. Like he's been in and off of the, the, you know, the injured reserve or whatever. He's had a lot of injuries throughout his young career too. So, um, 
There's a lot of question marks and options aside from those top three guys, Alaire, Hill, and Kelsey. Kels is actually, remember that? Did you see that video? He's like, it's actually Kels. Really? Yeah, he said Travis that. Travis Kels. Yeah, like a month, or, a month or so ago. He's like, yeah, it's actually, it's actually Kels. All right, let's do right. it. We're, this podcast, we pronounce people's names the way they want to be pronounced. No, we don't. Travis Do Kels. not put me under that type of pressure, okay? Um, <laughs> Connor, let's talk Damn about it, some ben. <laughs> Let's talk about some fantasy football. <laughs> I like to bring you to HR. <laughs> <laughs> we good thing we don't have an HR department here at ETA. All right. <laughs> Let's just kick it off with, we talked about Travis Kelsey. How high is too high for Travis Kelsey to get drafted in fantasy this year? Um, I'm getting a a call from our producers. Ben, you've just been promoted to head of HR. So (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Uh, I'm tempted to say something I shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, To get back to your question, Travis Kelsey, I mean, he's a first-round draft pick. I could see him going as high as six overall, and I'm not mad about it. You could take him right next to Devontae Adams. I think it's those like four or five running backs that we have a clear picture about. And then if you want to take him above Saquon, if you're going to take him above Devontae, I'm fine with that. I I would even hate it if you're in a PPR league, especially like, you know, he's going to catch like average, like at least eight receptions a game. He's going to have games where he catches like 18 catches a game. I wouldn't I wouldn't be hate it at, at five. I would draft McCaffrey, Cook, Henry, Kamara all over him. And then I would seriously consider Travis Kelsey at the five spot ahead of Elliott, Chubb, Barkley, Aaron Jones, like that, Devontae Adams. Like, I would not scoff at anybody drafting Kels, Kels uh, that high. So <laughs> he had the second most yards in the league receiving yards. He had 1,416. That's more than DeAndre Hopkins, Justin yeah. Jefferson, Calvin Ridley, Devontae Adams, DK Metcalf. The, the only person that... ahead of him was Stephon Diggs. He yeah. is a top three wide receiver in the tight end position. Yeah. That's unheard of. Yeah. The Are you kidding me? Value you get over every other tight end. I mean, honestly, the only, there's only two tight ends. Maybe if you want to give Kyle Pitts some sort of crazy ceiling, maybe he could vaunt into the, an upper upper tier status. But like, really, like the only tight ends that even have a chance at competing with the point value of Travis Kelsey at the tight end position are Kittle and Waller. Um, and we'll talk about Waller, but like, he's in a league of his own. Really, like, honestly, like those guys probably don't even have a realistic chance to catch Kelsey in at, in terms of value at the tight end position unless he would have missed any sort of extended period of time. Um, because he's just been incredible every time he's been on the football field throughout his career over the last six seasons. So with with that kind of track record, with that with playing under the best quarterback that possibly any of us have ever seen, um he I mean, it's just like and the offensive play calling that this team does, like Andy Reid is one of the most excellent play callers in the history of the NFL. He he is like for young coaches who are learning how to call plays. Andy Reid is like the guy that you look to to try to teach you things. He like he 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 does so much with so little. He keeps things so basic but so advanced at the same time. All mm-hmm. the pre-snap motions, all the play actions, all the creativeness. Like he just knows how. Like he has plays that like they're just sh- sure things. And he has the greatest quarterback possibly that any of us have ever seen, the most talented quarterback possibly that any of us have ever seen, yet he just knows how to make the game simple for him. So he makes them look even better because he just creates plays that are just simple for him, that they're literally just like Mahomes could make these plays in his sleep. And it's, yeah. just, it's the greatest combination of talent that I've ever seen on the offensive side of the football, including like 
the the Green Bay talents and the New England talents. Like it's it's up there with like New England in in 09 with uh, with Randy Moss and and, and Tom Brady. Like I, those are the only offenses that I could think that could compete with this this Kansas City offense and the way that they combine like just pass catching weapons, quarterback play, play calling. Now hopefully the offensive line is even elite. Like it just get, it's a it's the rich get richer, and so really the only X factor for them is health. It's it's if they get hurt because that's the only thing keeping them from another you know fourteen win season because they've they put two together yeah. they've strung two together in a row now they went fourteen and two each of the last two years there's no really reason why they shouldn't be able to do that again this season. I mean Mahomes should be healthier this year than last year. He I think the second half of the season he was playing with a turf toe injury and you, you could see in numerous games he would be limping a little bit running to the line of scrimmage. I think he had some offseason surgery to correct that issue. So he should he should come out firing and ready to play. I think this team, you know, will be all cylinders go at least for their top 3 players. For sure. All right, Tyreek Hill at the wide receiver position. How high is too high for Tyreek Hill? Because he's right in that same category with Travis Kelsey. The only reason why he's not as valuable is because he's a wide receiver and not a tight end. I mean, if you wanted to take him as your wide receiver one in your draft, I'm completely fine with that too. Um, I think he's a back end of the first round, uh, start of the second round type of player. Agreed. All right, Clyde Edwards-Elaire, someone who has been – you know, a pretty controversial topic for fantasy preseason this year. I mean, CEH for me kind of poses as a possible post-hype sleeper. Considering how much, like, hype peak he had heading into his rookie year, he 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 vaunted up to the 8.2 ADP overall status last year, the RB7. Like, that's really high for a rookie. That's higher than Najee Harris. And, I mean... Not, the fact that he, he, he finished, what, the RB22, I think it was, last year... He finished at the back end RB two. Like if 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 he didn't have all that hype heading into the season, we would be looking at that rookie season in a, in a much more positive lens. We would be thinking he had an excellent rookie season, and now he's poised for another step up in his in his sophomore year. He's going to be more. They're going to. He's going to be more familiar with the playbook. We already talked about in a previous in previous podcasts how difficult it was for rookies last year to pick up playbooks and 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 play callings and and understanding offensive schemes, especially ones like Kansas City where they're very complicated on pre snap motions and and pass blocking schemes like. Those matter for rookies, and the casual fantasy football fan doesn't really understand how that works, but it does impact specifically a lot of the running back position and workload. And CEH, you know, he had some mixed health concerns late in the year, so he was battling health late in the year when he really should have been picking up the pace and finishing strong as a rookie, picking up the playbook more, but he didn't really have the opportunity to do so. So for me, honestly, he's being drafted right now as the as the RB14 at the ADP of 22, I I I have a CEH as a as a prime post helps uh, post hype sleeper. I would not be concerned drafting him, you know, mid second round even. I think he is a guy that could go pretty high in drafts for me. Yeah, same same page. I think he's he's being punished too much based on the poor taste he left in teams' mouth last year. Not only based on his draft position, but how we finished the season, only playing three of the last or only playing in two of the last five games, um, including missing the last two. So there definitely is something to be said about how you know his overall performance is looked at based on expectation because he had 800 yards in 13 games so if he played a full season he could have had a thousand as a rookie rusher and that that should be seen as a great season but because 
you expected the, the fourth overall running back. You expected him to be Alvin Kamara right away. You know, that's just not going to happen, right? So let's bust our expectations. Year two, let's look for that running back leap. I think he'll be fine. I think he'll get more touchdowns. You know, he only had four rushing touchdowns last year. Um, I expect him to be more involved in the passing game too because, like, I I already told you about how concerned I am about options besides Kelsey and and Tyreek Hill. Like, is CEH going to kind of be that next option for him in the passing game? I, I could see an avenue for that too. Yeah, 36 receptions last year, and uh, you know that number could easily jump over to 50. So if you're in a .5 PPR or PPR league, and you're talking about that type of advantage from a running back, you know it certainly provides a safe floor. Yeah, and he's got a first round draft pedigree. Like Kansas City wants him to succeed. They're going to create yeah. plays and create schemes for Ceh to be involved in this offense. And anybody who's involved in this offense in a significant way is going to have value. Because Kansas City is that good. So, really, you put the ball in his hands and he's going to be a good fantasy asset for you. Um, the only other guy here that's fantasy relevant for me, obviously, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, right now he's being drafted as the 18th overall player, the QB1. I mean, Mahomes is a sure thing for a top three QB finish on the year. I just, I lean, I'm always kind of the guy that just like leans towards waiting on the quarterback position. Uh, I love Mahomes. You can't go wrong with drafting him. It's it's kind of nice just drafting a guy and then throwing him in your QB spot week in and week out and banking on 20, 20 at, at worst, like 22 points and then banking on like some like 50 point weeks every now and then. Like he, he has that capability as well. So you, you're, I'm not going to scoff anybody picking Mahomes. At, at, at literally, like, at, you could be the, if in, a, in a two quarterback lead, like he's probably the first overall pick, second, second right. overall pick. So, or yeah, super flex. Yeah. So uh, Mahomes, I, I just, I, I, I'm always like, it's, it's a strategy thing. It's, it's a, what kind of school are you from? Like, what's your, what's your draft strategy? And I, I always lean towards just, you know, the opportunity cost of if you draft Mahomes at 18, you're, you're missing out on guys like Clyde Edwards-Alaire that we're talking about. You're missing out on guys like, you know, just a, a, a good RB two, wide receiver one. Uh, there are some other options there that you could get at to uh, to get more value out of your roster, and I think that that yeah, you you have some names listed: Mixon, DK Metcalf, Calvin Ridley, Justin Jefferson, AJ Brown. I mean, those are all just possible wide receiver one, running back ones, and with the amount of quarterback depth that there is, especially because you're only starting one quarterback in a in a standard league, there's just not as much value. He's probably going around one round too early for me. Agreed. All right, the over/under on this team is twelve and a half. Look, the the under is just like the the most scary bet you could possibly make in the NFL. <laughs> it's the scariest thing you could possibly bet on preseason. I mean, why would you want to bet do that to yourself? You're gonna be pulling your hair out watching the Kansas City Chiefs. You're year. hoping there's an injury. <laughs> You're hoping there's an injury to one of their top three players, and that's such a dumb thing to root for. <laughs> yeah, it's just not fun betting the under on this. Are we, are we in agreement there? Like, we just we can't do that. We I, there's no value in betting the over. Like, I'm not gonna put any money on this because I'm sure it's like minus one one forty at best, like one thirty at best. The vig is gonna be very high, but like. I just I wouldn't do that to myself. I, I it, I'm sure like the under is like plus one ten, plus one twenty, and, and I wouldn't. I it's, it's you're just like a degenerate if you're gonna want to root for that throughout the season. Like it's just there's no fun in rooting against Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and, and Travis Kelsey. Like there's no that's not fun at all. 
It's like rooting for uh, rooting against Tom Brady for the past 20 years. It's just not a good idea, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, and even like there's like some room for improvement based on last year from the Chiefs. Like they they won 14 games last year and there's still room for improvement. Like last year, the Chiefs ranked third. They were the third worst in adjusted games loss on the offensive line. So they're, you're hoping for a healthier O-line for them this year. They also had, I believe, so last year, the Chiefs regressed in their first half performances. They were leading on average by only three and a half points per game at halftime. In 2019 and 2018, they were they were leading by seven and a half and six point nine respectively. So they they actually were a worse first half team than than normal last year. Um, and they they had the lead in only nine games com- um, at halftime last year compared to eleven games in each of the last two seasons. So they maintained their excellent overall like excellence overall but like they had to have historically excellent third quarter defense they only allowed 1.75 third quarter points to opponents and then they were this uh that was the second best third quarter defense since 2010 and then they were unstoppable on offense in the fourth quarter they averaged eight and a half points per game in the fourth quarter like those are excellent stats so excellent third quarter defense unbelievable fourth quarter offense that's how they did it last year, and that's not necessarily as sustainable. But you know, the 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 avenue, the path to more success is better first half play, and the, they've already shown that in the two seasons before that how they get there. They, like I said, seven and a half and six point nine average lead at halftime. The, the two years before this, like the Chiefs are so good. Don't do it to yourself. Do not bet the under on this. Yeah, I mean. If the Chiefs get down 14 nothing or something, I still would take the Chiefs in most games. You know, obviously there are a couple situations, yeah. but how many times have they come back from being down huge in, in multiple scenarios, you know? And if there was a team that was most likely to go undefeated next year, I would probably pick the Chiefs. So I'm definitely not going to take the under. I'll probably – I'll take the over – uh, and I, I would even consider some personal dough at 12 and a half. I mean, the 17 game season, you're allowing this team to have possibly four losses and still win the bet. I'm happy with that. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the next team on this division. The Las Vegas Raiders last year, they went eight and eight. They were so close to that winning record. They have not had a winning record since 2006. I think it's been a long time. Um, they are plus 1300 to plus 1,800 to win this division. So pretty big underdogs. The over-under win total line is seven coming to the year. Honestly, this is a big season for John Gruden. I mean, is he capable of turning this team around? Because you look at what he's been able to accomplish in, in Vegas in his tenure so far, and it's it's no better than the two coaches that were preceded him and Jack Del Rio and Tom Cable before him. We're both fired after their three years in, in Vegas, having very similar, even better records than Gruden had. The only reason why Gruden's still around is because his name and how much he gets paid. So this is a big year for Gruden. One, one of the prime candidates for first coach fired. Do you think, are, do you, are you going to be optimistic about this team at all this season? Just quick stat correction. So you're right. They they only had one winning season since 2006, but they did go 12 and four in 2016. Okay. That was the year that like people were talking about Derek Carr as like a possible MVP gotcha. candidate gotcha. and everything like that. Yeah, I remember that. You're right. I could see Gruden being fired. He's done a lot of weird stuff in the first three seasons. I mean, he came in and just blew up that team. He was like, "I'm going to craft it in my image." Right? And I mean, he's had three seasons. Talented? I haven't, how I haven't this? seen that much of an improvement. Right? Yeah, you're I mean, absolutely right. 
you look at the players that they had when he came in versus what, what they have now. At, at quarterback, obviously, same quarterback, Derek Carr. At wide receiver, in 2017, when Gruden was was the head coach, they had Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree, and Seth Roberts. In 2021, they have Henry Ruggs, John Brown, and Hunter Renfro. The O-line, they have Donald Penn, Kalichi Oz- uh, Ozamale, Rodney Hudson, Gabe Jackson, and Marshall Newhouse. All excellent offensive linemen. This year, they have Colton Miller, Richie Incognito. Incognito is a character. I forgot he was on this team. Andre James, Denzel Good, and Alex Leatherwood. I don't even know who Leatherwood is. Um, and then they, they Awesome had, name, though. Right? I mean, if you want to talk about a name that could be like the head of like a book series, he sounds like an undercover detective. Like, I'm Agent Leatherwood. <laughs> At tight end, they had Cook, Jared Cook. Now they have Darren Waller. So that's like the only upgrade they've had since 2017. Like, this Gruden's made this team worse. And the only, like I said, the only reason why he's not fired yet is because he's John Gruden. Yeah, I mean, he's a big name. They they came in there and they he was all over the news. You know, we're hiring John Gruden. They made a huge thing about it. They can't they can't turn it over that quickly. So they've given him three seasons. But this is really a make or break it year, I think, for Gruden and probably for Derek Carr. He's been how long has he been in this league and been just completely mediocre? Yeah, he's, he's fine. Not, he's, he's a fine quarterback. Guys. He's another. He's one very I was about earlier. Very average. He's yeah. very much in that Teddy Bridgewater range. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, even the like the offense. There's reasons for optimism. Like they should be uh, above average to good offense, but like the defense has been horrendous recently. I mean, since Gruden has taken over, they've spent more money on their secondary unit, their cornerbacks and safeties over the last five years than any other team in the NFL. Since and his first move was to let go of Khalil Mack. Like, of course, this team's D got worse. Holy crap. So bad on defense. I mean, they spent more money on the secondary, like I said, and their past defense has ranked since 2017. I'll read off the rankings for you in DVOA. 2017, 31st, 18, 32nd, 19, 31st, 2020, they were 26th. They're just they they are so bad on that side of the football. It's not even funny. It's like they were 31st last year and uh, over the last two seasons. Sorry, they were 31st in EPA per play on the defensive side. Last year, they were 28th in defensive DVOA, 26th against the pass, 28th against the run. Over the last three years under Gruden, they finished 28th, 31st and 31st in defensive DVOA. They they spent the over the last uh, was it three years under Gruden. They've spent five first or second round picks on defensive players. None of those guys have reached just league average status. That in 2001 they drafted Trayvon Morig. That's he's heading into his rookie year, second round out of TCU. Damon Arnett, Cleland Farrell, Jonathan Abram, Trayvon Mullen, and PJ Hall. I mean, do you know who those guys are? Is Farrell is he an offensive lineman? I think I thought he was decent, no, or is he defensive, defensive end, line? Defensive end, first round out of Clemson. Yeah, I guess I don't know who any of them are. Right? I mean, that's the point. They're all like not even league average. I like I pulled Damon Arnett's cards out of a pack of football cards, and I'm like, ah, I could throw this away. <laughs> they are so bad on that side of the ball. Like, I'm so pessimistic about this team because I just don't think that they're any good here. They have no reason for optimism. They brought in a new defensive corner this year, Gus Bradley, who was the head coach in Jacksonville from 2013 to 2016. Do you know what his record was? It was 14 and 48. <laughs> 
He was a defensive corner for the Chargers since 2017. The Chargers haven't had a, a good defense in two years. They had two good two good seasons under Bradley and two not so good seasons. And they uh, Bradley is just not the guy for this to for, to turn this defensive unit around. He's just. He's very mediocre, very bland. He's not. He this this defense is no. They're gonna be they're gonna be a bottom five defense in the league again this season. There's no reason they they would they wouldn't be unless they get some sort of unprecedented contributions from their young their young players. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm shocked they weren't eight and eight last year. <laughs> hearing all these stats, it's a pretty impressive season. They've been mired in mediocrity for quite some time. I mean, even how like the the offense has actually been reasonably decent under Josh Jacobs is a stud. Yeah, he's a great and, running back. And they just they're just so bad on defense. It's not even funny. It, it severely limits their upside as a team because when your defense is on the field for so long, they get scored on so quickly. Like. It's just, it's just no fun. It completely brings down the morale when your defense is that bad. Yeah. Gruden, did you know Gruden's the third highest paid, her, uh, third highest paid head coach in the league? He gets paid, he gets paid more than everybody in the league besides Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick. Well, it's he just, had a pretty cushy, um, pretty cushy job over on the on the broadcast networks, so yeah. doing the Monday Night Football and you know Gruden's grinders and everything. Like he he was the star of the show there. So he, I kind of assumed he had to have a huge money package to to draw him away from that situation. But he's clearly not been worth the money he was given. I mean, I, I get he won a Super Bowl years ago, but that's he's it's just so far removed from the, what the current NFL is operating at. For sure. And he has not constructed a team that can win in this NFL, let alone this division. Yeah. I, I, some of the moves that they made during the offseason just like made zero sense. Like why did they let Nelson Aguilar go? I get, I get he got a lot of money from new England, but like that was their number one receiver and they didn't bring anybody else in to replace him. Like if you got to let him go, you got to let him go. He got paid a lot of money, you know, Best best wishes. Go to New England. Do your best. You got you got paid. Like he was on a one year prove it deal for for uh, Las Vegas last year. But like, why did they bring in nobody to replace him? Like Henry Ruggs is not ready to lead this offense in pass catching. I'm hearing a lot of good things about Brian Edwards in the preseason. Now yeah. it's the same thing last year, but he is a big body receiver who has shown some upside. And you know, the year two, year three breakouts for wide receivers are possible. My my guess is that they just kind of want to open up some opportunities for both Rugs and Edwards to consistently be on the field, letting go of um, Tyrell Williams as well, I'll let him move on. So I think that they just kind of want to see what they have in those wide receivers, but neither of them are proven by any means. And Aguilar stretched the field extremely well. He was very valuable the, yeah, to this team. I, I forget the stat I saw about him, but one of the best deep ball threats in the league last year. Yeah, yeah, nice pickup for the pass. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate that personally. All right, let's talk about some fantasy football here for the Raiders. The first guy <laughs> getting picked here for, for Las Vegas is off the board is Darren Waller, the tight end. Going to easily be the, lead, the number one passing pass-catching option for the tight end. ADP, he's first off the board? No, 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 no. First off the board for the Raiders, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, ADPs first off the board for the Raiders over Josh Jacobs. Over Josh Jacobs, currently going twenty. That's overall really surprising for how Jacobs late is Josh Jacobs going? Thirty-two. Holy smokes, that's yeah. a value. So Darren wow. Waller is getting drafted as a tight end too. 
Um, no surprising news for Waller. We'll talk about Jacobs, but Waller is a stud. Don't don't compare him to Jacobs and think like this value is not worth it for Waller. I love, absolutely love this guy. Last year he caught 107 of his 145 targets. Last year he he had 100 and uh, sorry 1,196 receiving yards and nine touchdowns. He was especially excellent also during those fantasy playoff weeks last year during the the season's final five games. He had 43 catches, 654 yards, and four touchdowns. That was what won me in my fantasy season last year. So I am a big Darren Waller fan. I personally know what he can do for you in fantasy. He was first last year in team target share, 26.4. And like I said, the team lost their best wide receiver option in Nelson Aguilar this season. There's no reason to think why Waller wouldn't continue that target share and the efficiency numbers. He's played also 16 games in each of the last two seasons. He's been the model of health over that span. Just, you know, kind of in the same vein as that guy, Travis Kelsey, we were talking about earlier. That dude. Kels. Right? Kels. <laughs> Travis Kels. <laughs> Waller, for me, is the only candidate to jump in the t- into the tight end tight end one spot next season over Kelsey. He's the only one who I could see doing it. Because considering the wear and tear that Kels has had over the last six seasons, Waller. There you go. Two years, <laughs> He, I mean, it's it, it's an it's inevitable. It's coming at some point, especially at tight end. I mean, he, he's he, he's banging heads all the time. He's played six years in that spot. He's he look, Kels has earned that tight end one spot. He should be there. I would not anticipate him falling off. But should he, you know, lose that mantle, that number one status, I think Waller is the next guy up. Yeah, I mean, you have him tight end two. I have him tight end three, but he's clearly in that top rung of tight ends with Kelsey, Kittle, and Waller right there. And, you know, he's he's got the target share certainty, something that Kittle doesn't have. I think Kittle's a little bit better of an athlete and better tight end as a skill position player. But a- the argument is a vague term. Athlete is a vague term because Waller is definitely bigger, longer arms. Kittle is maybe faster. I, I've seen more hands, explosive maybe. plays and more plays where Kittle just runs through like seven people, eight people. Um, but yeah, I, you know, Waller is is extremely lanky and fast in his own right too. You know, he kind of looks like a, a basketball player gliding around the field because he's so big. And he they line him up at wide receiver numerous times too. He, he kind of is that other wide receiver that they need. So he's, he's definitely a great option. He'll, he'll be consistent. He'll have the target share. Yeah. For me, I think Waller is easily ranked over Kittle because the path for targets for Waller is uncontested. There's nobody competing for him even in that same category like that. There's nobody in the same talent atmosphere as Waller in this offense. Like Waller's easily the most talented pass catching option for the Raiders. In San Francisco, you got guys like Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel. Um, and I, I, I can't. I, I think that's 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 about as far as I can go for San Francisco 49er receivers. Well, they let they um, Kendrick Bourne was Kendrick, their third wide receiver last well, year, who's now likely. on the Patriots. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's why you're not coming up with the name. <laughs> but for me, Waller is just a fantasy stud. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm gonna be trying to get a guy like Waller and maybe even Kittle in the in late in the second round if I can, maybe even early in the third. Um, 
I think there's a great value for him in the early third rounds, but he's not going to last that long. He, he right now 25th is in a 12 team league. It's going first pick in the third round. Like that's kind of right where I would probably have him. Um, I think this ADP is showing that people are catching on to him and he's the next guy up in this tight end, the tight end cycle. I mean, eventually Kels is no longer going to be able to do it. And I think Waller's going to have some sustained success uh, going forward. So, yeah, there's, there's value there. I, I don't mind taking Waller early in a, in a fantasy draft. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on Josh Jacob, the running back position? ADP is 32nd. He's the RB18 in his draft position. You already said you I, like the value. I mean, are, are you... I get why people are lower on him this year than last year. You know, with the signing of Kenyon Drake, there's some questions they gave, about they, how... They gave Drake a good amount of money, too. They gave him $11 million over two seasons. So it's, That's it's not for running backs. Of, that's, that's a decent amount, yeah. Yeah. He's not just some sort of got depth piece that they brought in. Clearly, they paid him like a, a guy that they want to be involved in the offense. So that's a little yeah. bit... That's pretty worrisome for me. The thing that's always held Josh Jacobs from being a top five fantasy running back has been the receptions. Um, otherwise, as as a runner and, a, and as a touchdown scorer, he's been right there. I believe he was the RB8 last year on the season, so he's going 18. That definitely presents a value, but you know, if, if Kenyon Drake is coming in who's known as a pass catcher, I really don't see much more of a ceiling from Jacobs than what last year was. So if your ceiling is capped at eight, because you're not getting the receptions, you're getting pulled off on third downs. You know, that, that role has always existed where Deandre Washington was coming in on third downs last year. They had another guy too. Um, But, you know, I I think we're just going to see more Richard. Thank you. So, you know, that role has existed. That means Kenyon Drake's going to come into that role, but I also think Kenyon Drake's a better running back as a runner than both of those players, so that it's possible he could eat into some of those carries. So, you know, Josh Jacobs' ceiling is maybe RB8, 7, but I also think that his downside's extremely limited. I think he has an extremely safe workload, and so if he's going as running back 18, I think that's a pretty awesome value and somebody who I would feel extremely comfortable, a lot of extremes, <laughs> extremely comfortable as my RB2 on my fantasy team. So would you draft him over David Montgomery? No. James Robinson? Yes. Miles Sanders. No. DeAndre Swift. No. Chris Carson. Maybe. I I don't know. Who's the second running back? Carson. Who's the second running back for Seattle? Rashad Penny. He's back this year. Apparently, looks healthy. So he was Penny was a second round pick. You know, people forget about him. They left him for dead because he missed a whole year. But I I think Penny's going to be decent. I uh, I did that to myself. I knew it was Penny. I just uh, I wanted. To <laughs> <laughs> I just think I think Kenyon Drake's a better running back than Richard Penny. I, but you're also right. I mean, Penny has a lot of upside, so I did it to myself. But the point is, like, you're right. Where Josh Jacobs has some upside, um, but for me, the value isn't 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 there until he's. I think he's just one of these guys on the season that's going to continue to fall down draft boards because he's just like someone that guys have soured on for for kind he's of. He's a post hype sleeper too. You know, yeah. last year people were projecting him a uh, top, you know, back end of the first round in yeah. fantasy drafts, similar to he's, Ceh. You know, I think both of those guys present values this year. 
He's someone I think a lot of fantasy savvy, quote unquote, like owners are, are actually going to try to avoid this year. But like, I think that kind of leaves the door open for what you're saying with the value because he could drop so low, like he could drop to like the fourth or fifth round possibly. And in that point, it's like, it's a steal. You could win your league with drafting a Josh Jacobs in late in the fourth round. Um, and if he goes for like less than 20 bucks in an auction bid, like that's pretty solid as an RB two. So yeah. There is some value that could be had for Josh Jacobs in fantasy this year. Um, somebody that, like you said, could be a post-type sleeper. If I leave my fantasy draft and my my running backs are CEH and Josh Jacobs, I'm pretty damn happy. Yeah, you know, I think you have the pass catching upside I, and then the safe running. I would running want, like, I would want like Travis Kelsey as my tight end, Darren Waller as my tight end, or like um, like Devontae Adams or like Tyreek Kill or like Stephon Diggs. Like I would need some of those guys. Well, yeah, and, and assuming if you know CEH. He's probably going in the second round. Jacobs in the third. You're probably having one of those guys. Yeah. All right. The over-under for the Raiders, seven. Where are you going with this one? Under. I'm on the under, too. Man, dude, we, why do we always agree? Like, stop reading my notes. <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> I'm on the under. Uh, look, the schedule ranks as the second toughest in the NFL for the Raiders based on MGM's win totals. Um, they have 13 games against teams with a win total of at least eight games. The Raiders' best strength over the last two years has been the offensive line ranking in the top 10 at Justin sack rate. But this last offseason, they traded Rodney Hudson, guard Gabe Jackson, and right tackle Trent Brown. Hudson was a top 11 center last year, according to PFF. Brown finished as a top 40 pass blocking tackle, and Jackson finished as a top 25 uh, blocking guard. They're going to need some major contributions from young players to beat this win total. And, and when when was the last time we saw John Gruden develop a young talent in the, in Las Vegas? I just I do I have no confidence in Gruden. I think Gruden is a, a pretty decent value bet as the first NFL coach fired in 2021. He's plus 1,000 to earn that. He's fourth in this ranking behind Mike McCarthy at plus 750. Vic Fangio, who I also think is another guy we already talked about, plus 750. Matt Nagy at plus 850. You don't want to be considered. You don't want to be in this bunch. These guys are all in the hot seat. Yeah. <laughs> that is, we're not talking about like nice heated seats in like a BMW <laughs> or Mercedes. These are the seats that are on fire that you got to get out of. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the next team. Last team in the in this division, the AFC West, wrapping it up with the Los Angeles Chargers. A very fun team. Last year, they finished 7-9. Uh, and nine. They were – the story of their year last year was the one-score games. I think they lost eight of them. They went nine and five. Nine and five is the over/under win total on this upcoming year. They are plus four fifty to plus four ninety to win this division. They brought in head coach Brandon Staley, who was the defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams last year. They also brought in Joe Lombardi, who was the quarterbacks coach for the New Orleans Saints, and they brought in Ronaldo Hill to be the defensive coordinator. Look, Staley. Spent the lot spent the last year under Sean McVay. He's had a track history of being being with some excellent coaches in his career. Joe Lombardi spent the last five years working with Drew Brees, and he was pre- previously the Lions' offensive coordinator with Matt Stafford. And with Matt Stafford, the Lions in those two seasons under Lombardi as the offensive coordinator, they uh, had they were ranked, they ranked fifth in pass frequency on early downs from 2014 to 2015 when Lombardi was there. Lombardi loves to pass the ball. 
I think he's gonna the per, he's gonna be the perfect fit here for Los Angeles with a young developing quarterback like Justin Herbert. I'm 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 liking what I'm seeing out of Los Angeles coming into the season, and I think finally, you know, Los Angeles has been one of those teams that people want to get hyped about. They like the talent. They think it's gonna finally come all together and people are finally like look i'm tired of getting burnt by this team i'm tired of this like i'm i'm done with this i'm no longer going to be optimistic on the chargers i'm sick of it like i'm i've been burnt too many times but i think this year might finally be the year that that the chargers have a, a a a quality year they they meet expectations possibly exceed them um and i just think the growth for a guy like Justin Herbert just can't be understated this guy is going to have an excellent season once again had a uh historic rookie season last year um and when you look at like the the class of of players that he was with just last year in his rookie season he's with an excellent bunch of rookie quarterbacks out of 31 rookie quarterbacks with at least 300 dropbacks over the last 10 seasons herbert was one of seven of them to finish in the top half of starters in epa per play that's Dak Prescott, Robert Griffin III, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, Cam Newton, James Winston, and Andrew Luck. It's a good bunch. How are you feeling about the Chargers heading into the season, Connor? Go Chargers, go! <laughs> I think they're going to be good. Um, last year, I was trying to put together a statistical ranking tool of offenses and defenses. And based on statistics, not just win and loss record... I had the Chargers as a top 10 team last year on both offense and defense. And I was shocked. You know, I was ranking things like, you know, how many passing yards, touchdown efficiency, how many fumbles, sacks, you know, a bunch of different metrics. You're not, you're, and, I think you're not considering that special teams. They were the worst special teams team, uh, last year. Worst. That's fair. And that's always been their Achilles heel, <laughs> kicking and punt returning. Um, but also that their coaching was also one of their Achilles heels last year. Um, yeah. And, they always seem to find a way to lose games in a, in a very chargers way, you know? And I think that now they have a new, new quarterback um, moving on from the Phillip rivers era and, you know, 31 passing touchdowns is a rookie record for Justin Herbert. The sky is the limit for this guy and getting rid of Anthony Lynn, I think is really going to open this team up. And then, you know, you get guys like Derwin James back and you already have uh, Joey Bosa on that defense. I mean, this defense could be very good if healthy in this offense with, you know, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, they have a ton of talent. And, you know, just based on the statistics last year, not looking at the win-loss record, this team, I think, is well on its way to having a good season already. I'm in lockstep with you here. Look, the Chargers... Damn it, Ben, and I didn't even look... I didn't even look at your predictions for this one or your notes. Look, the, the, the one-score games last year were just... It's not even just last year. It's been two years now. So look, <laughs> it feels like it's been fifteen years, honestly, the, with the I Chargers. Mean, the, the the Chargers had one of the best rookie quarterbacks of all time in Herbert last year. They had an excellent season out of Phil Rivers in twenty nineteen. Yet all that provided, they had their the franchise's record in one score games over those two years, it was historically bad. They lost sixteen one score games, eight and eight. They lost eight games each, one-score games over the last two years. Over the last 30 seasons in the NFL, only two other franchises have done this. 
The Lions in 2001 and 2002, they actually lost 17 one-score games over that span. And then the Washington, there were the Redskins then in 1994 and 1995. They lost 16 games as well. That's not a good bunch to be a part of. And and really, the Chargers are a more, much more talented team than both those teams were at those points in in their franchise's history. Like a coaching re- regime change should ideally help some of these problems for the Chargers. They had some of the problems they had in close games, but like the stats will show this. I mean, Anthony Lynn was excruciatingly conservative on fourth downs, going for a, on only 25% of the time, which was the ninth lowest in, in the league since he came to Los Angeles as the head coach in 2017. Since 2018, the four teams that have been the most aggressive on fourth down situations when it's positive expected value. So the expected value is of the play it, obviously it, it kind of de- it's the advanced stats that tell you whether or not you should go for it on fourth down when the advanced stats like it, it's it's down to a formula it's a science for these advanced stat teams now and the teams that follow it you know the ones that go for it on fourth the ones that are aggressive that follow the stats the ravens packers browns eagles all excellent offenses since 2018 besides the eagles last season obviously for a plethora, a myriad of reasons we already talked about on that podcast. But the four teams that ignore this stat, the ones that ignore the advanced analytics, they, the ones that punt the ball instead of running, instead of uh, going for it on fourth downs, the Broncos, Jaguars, Redskins, well, Washington football team, and the Lions. Like, that's not a bunch you want to be a part of. The Chargers are, I think, what did I say, ninth? So they're approaching that 14 bunch there. The fourth down decision making, it, it's a new age analytical schematic that, and Lynn was just stuck in conservatism, eschewing all the modern statistics. Like, the Chargers could have benefited a lot from a more modern approach over the last couple of years, and especially with a young quarterback with who could bring a type of a Chiefs esque type of efficiency with with a guy the, the type of ceiling that Herbert brings to this offense. Like, there's no reason why they shouldn't be a top ten, top six or eight offense in this league. Last year they were 15th in DVOA on offense, so a lot of room for improvement on both sides of the football, especially if they get healthier on the defensive side. I, I'm pretty optimistic about the Chargers heading into this year. You know what I, I was thinking about is that we talk about touchdown regression for players that have a ton of opportunities, but they either seem to overperform those opportunities. You know, a guy like Aaron Jones getting like what was it like twenty touchdowns two years ago on limited opportunities. What was or, TJ last year at um, Tunyon getting a crazy amount of right. efficiency? Yeah. Or vice versa, you know, we had guys like DJ Moore who had over 1,100 yards and they only Julio had Jones. four touchdowns. Julio Jones is, is a guy who for multiple years suffered from touchdown uh, underperformance. Cooper but Cup then what eventually happens to all of these players is that they remove, they move more towards the mean. They have touchdown regression. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen to the Chargers. They're going to have win regression. I think that it's going to be hard to maintain a historically horrible record in wins and losses in those one-score games. I think they're going to, just based on pure statistics, it's going to be hard to be worse. Yeah. The It's funny when you look at... Um, the halftime stat like leads i think last year so i believe they led on i think where's the stat they led i think on nine first half games last year and then they went um something like seven and or i can't remember what it was they like the league i can't remember i lost the stat but the point is like the teams that lead at half win 80 percent of the time and the Chargers, i think were somewhere in like the 50 or 60 percent 
winning mm-hmm. after halftime leads. Like they just uh, they just were incredibly inefficient. Um, and I think the coaching staff regime change is going to change some of that. The uh, the conservative play calling is going to change, hopefully. Um, and, and I think some of the schemes uh, are just going to start to skew towards the strength of their franchise quarterback because they got to start building an offense around Justin Herbert. They have they've had a whole offseason to think about how they want to put Herbert in successful situations the way Andy Reid does the same thing with Patrick Mahomes. Like I said, he just creates easy schemes, easy passes, builds the confidence and then goes and and slices your throat with a deep ball to Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey. Like that's very well in the in the ballpark range for a guy like Herbert and, Ke- and Keen Allen. And this offense could have Mike Williams is a deep ball threat. Like this team has the weapons to do it. They should be an elite offensive attack and they should be healthier on defense. I think we're gonna see some positive regression like you're saying for this team. All right, Connor, let's talk about the fancy football picture here. Look, one of my guys I love to talk about here on the Chargers is Austin Eckler. The, the fancy footballers love to call him Awesome Excellence, and it's the name is fitting. I'm, I'm jealous that they took it before we could. Austin Eckler has an ADP right now of 13th overall, the RB10. He's played last last year. Eckler played in only thirty five percent of the snaps. He had a little bit of a down year with the health concerns, um, but the offensive line really like was so bad, limiting that ceiling for him. They were thirty first in rushing DVOA as a team last year, and the, the major factor was just that poor showing from the offensive line that ranked 29th in Football Outsiders adjusted yard adjusted lines uh, adjusted line yard metric. So essentially, just how much r- running room is or was the offensive line creating for the running back, and the Chargers had the 29th worst. First offensive line in that metric. Eckler hopefully is just going to have some positive regression in a lot of these different a lot of these different stats and areas of, of focus here um, heading to the year. And Eckler doesn't have a history of health concerns. So like last year was more or less probably a fluke. Um, and I just think, you know, he's a guy that just puts in the work off the field. He's so strong. He's always talked about as like being the strongest dude in the weight room. He's like, what, 5'10", 5'9", probably like a buck 90. And he might lift like the most weight. He like lifts with the offensive lineman. He's so strong. Like the dude is a freak. And I, I'm, I, I think honestly, a- ADP 13 might not even be high enough. I think I have him ranked as the RB nine. I believe I'm a big fan of this guy heading into the year. What are your thoughts on Eckler? We see him very similarly. I have him just two spots lower at RB 11. Um, I have Jonathan Taylor and Antonio Gibson ahead of him there. Mm-hmm. I, I like Eckler a lot in PPR formats. He's definitely going to be even higher. The thing that worries me is he's never been really a goal line back. Uh, so the question is, does this new uh, set of coordinators and, and head coach, do, do they rely on him near the goal line or because he's not that typical large running back, do they start to shift away when he's just kind of the running back between the twenties? And I think that's what's really stopping him from being in that upper echelon of running backs. Um, but otherwise, I mean, he's an electric playmaker. He can catch the crap out of the ball and he's a great runner too. So I think that's the biggest drawback for him. And, uh, you know, if you see in the first set of games, he's really not getting the goal line carries. They start bringing him in, other people in, but he has some solid performances. I might like to trade him early on too, but th- if he does start to get the goal line carries, the sky is the limit for this guy. I love Kamara, especially in PPR and half PPR formats. Like you said, he's one of the best NFL's best Eckler. receiving running backs. What did I say, Kamara? Uh, you said Kamara, yeah. My bad. Similar names almost. I-, I like Kamara too. <laughs> Look, I love I love Eckler. Um, 
one of the NFL's best receiving running backs. And I think I, I mentioned Kamara because Kamara is the best receiving running back in the NFL. Kamara ranked um, only Kamara and JD McKissick ranked um, in, in target shares last year um, out of the running back position uh, in terms of average targets per game. Eckler had six and a half average targets from the running back position. Kamara and McKissick were ranked above that. Um, Look, the wear and tear on Eckler is not there. He's only 26 years old, 401 rushes under his belt. Like, there's no reason for concern about that. He's he, he's still a young guy in the running back position, and he's just he, the the avenue for points is there. Um, and like I said, the only concern is the goal line work. But I honestly think this this offense is going to be so efficient that it's not going to really even matter. I just think you know Herbert's going to move the ball. He's such a young young quarterback that is very capable and i think they're going to be more efficient on early downs i think they're going to pass the ball a little bit more on early downs than they did last year which was um something they needed to improve upon and they um going to the offseason anyways and that's going to bode well i think for a guy like eckler who's capable of catching those passes like i said so i think that his workload in the passing game is going to even go up more all right what are your thoughts on the wide receiver here the wide receiver one option for herbert keen allen just somebody who's incredibly explosive Rock steady, you know. Keenan Allen is absolutely rock steady. Year after year, he's gonna he's gonna push for a hundred receptions or so, and you know he'll be right around that thousand yard mark. I don't think he has the the huge upside of some players being drafted around him. You know, I think AJ Brown and DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, and CeeDee Lamb are kind of in that same echelon, but he also doesn't have the downside by any means. He's a target monster. He's he's very much like Allen Robinson, where you know his workload is guaranteed. He's the clear number one on that team. And game in and game out, he's gonna be fantastic for you. I, I like him a lot. I think he's he makes sense very much so around that that wide receiver 10 spot. Yeah. Um I, I like I like what you're saying about him and I'm 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 optimistic about him but I, I even like him a little bit more um, just with a twist that I think that the upside is going to be there um, just because I think there's going to be a lot of room for improvement like I said on early downs for the Chargers because last year um, the conservative play calling on early downs was terrible I mean they were running the ball at like one of the league's highest rates on first down and second down and then they were throwing the ball at one of the league's highest rates on third down and Herbert was unbelievable on third downs last year he he Herbert completed half of his third down passes on third down no not sorry he half of his third down passes were first downs mm-hmm. and I mean look Keen Allen's his go-to guy he's, he's a target monster I think um in terms of this offense, I keep talking about how much they have room to improve. That's going to benefit a guy like this because Keenan Allen does not – he no longer has Hunter Henry competing for that red zone work. Eckler isn't going to be running the ball too much in the, at the, in the goal line, like you said. Herbert's not necessarily one that runs the ball a ton. He more or less uses the legs as, as, as a backup option, not necessarily plan A. And Keenan is his go-to guy. Keenan Allen, I, I see him as like uh, Devontae Adams light for me. Because Herbert is capable of putting up stats comparable to Aaron Rodgers, and Keenan Allen is capable of putting up stats comparable to Devontae Adams in terms of target share and yardage totals and touchdown totals and red zone efficiency too. So, so long as Keenan Allen stays healthy, he's kind of a guy that's had a, a, mixed, a mixed past of injuries. Um, if Keenan Allen plays 15, 16 games, I mean, pencil in him is a top, honestly, wide receiver seven or six or seven finishes definitely in the cards there. 
Yeah, very, very safe wide receiver one or two pick. I agree. All right, Justin Herbert, how uh, how do you have him ranked currently in your quarterback rankings? I, I mean, I think he's a top 10 quarterback already in year two. I think I have him nine overall. Um, you mentioned he doesn't necessarily have that rushing upside as some of the other top mm-hmm. fantasy players. But he is kind of sneaky effective around the goal line. He did have five rushing touchdowns last year. That's only two behind a guy like Tannehill, who we think of very much so as a guy who's effective running the ball in the red zone. So there is some possible rushing upside if he's able to get those six points instead of four. Uh, You know, and then we're talking about that year two leap for quarterbacks, which could certainly happen here for Herbert once he has a full regular offseason under his belt. You know, he's got a new coaching regime, which isn't going to be so heavily focused on run and run first. Anthony Lynn, the former NFL running back, of course, was very favoring. Um, in, a, in a quarterback's rookie year, too, it makes sense to favor the run and, and to give this guy a little bit of a break. But, you know, Justin Herbert, is electric. Let him rip. Let him take over this league. Let him put yeah, up 40 touchdowns it? next year. I think it? he's going to be awesome. I think he's going to be it? great. You I think he's going to have a better year than last year. Yeah. At, at last year, he was the NFL's best quarterback when pressured. and he, uh, That's incredible for right, a, rookie. As a rookie. I mean, the poison accuracy he showed when things were just less than ideal, it, it's something you don't see out, out of a rookie quarterback like ever. So pretty excellent season from him last year. I could only see the, sky, the sky's the limit for a guy like this, honestly. Um, are you considering uh, fancy options in? Are you considering Mike Williams or Jalen Guyton, the wide receivers two and three, here for uh, Los Angeles? Are you considering them as options in fantasy? I mean, Mike Williams year after year, you kind of feel like he should, he should be having better fantasy finishes than he does. He he was a first round wide receiver pick. He's had huge touchdown seasons, but he always seems to be injured. He, I feel like every time he falls down, he gets up looking slow, looking heavy, limping. He's he. It reminds me every time Joel Embiid hits the floor in basketball. Like I'm worried his season's over every time he falls, and he lands so hard. So I, I don't mind stashing Mike Williams on your roster, hoping for okay. If Justin Herbert throws freaking forty touchdowns, Hunter Henry's gone. Williams could could absolutely have double digit touchdowns. That's not outside of the realm of possibility. Guyton's a field stretcher. Um, there's another uh, fast rookie. I feel like this team drafted too that Eckler was talking about, um, but I don't remember his name. But I, I probably I'm probably not going to take any of them on my team. I'm probably going to stick to Keenan Allen and, and stay with the steady uh, target share there. I feel you there. I think maybe Josh Palmer, is that who you might be considering? Yeah, that might be the guy. Tyron Johnson, he's already been there. Um, but yeah, I, I feel you there. Williams honestly kind of feels like a guy that I wouldn't hate kind of having on my bench in case like one of my guys gets hurt. There's a bye week, something like that. Like Williams is capable of putting up like big weeks. He's not going to be the consistent guy week in and week out, but if, you, if you're in a pinch and you need a guy like that, you could do worse. I mean, the upside's there for him to, you know, finish in, in a weekly, like, top top 15 finish in a, in, in a given week. So, uh, he, all it takes is, like, a 50-yard touchdown bomb, and Herbert's definitely had got the arm for that. So, um, so, I feel similarly also about the tight end option in in Los Angeles as well. Jared Cook, 
going over there. It being the first year there with them moving from New Orleans. Um, Cook's kind of on the back end of his career at this point. Um, probably not going to be one of the, the top target shares guys in this offense, but someone that if you're in a pinch in the tight end position, you got an injured guy, injured starter, um, or you guys got to buy probably do worse than Jared Cook. He might catch maybe five or six touchdowns on the season. You just hope that you get one of them on the week that you play him. All right. Yeah. Let's let's uh let's wrap it up with the over under win total nine and a half for the Chargers. The charge is I'm going on the over. I'm I'm, I'm doing the same. I think there's gonna be that win regression next year. We have a nice Chargers season. Yeah. They're just they've become infamous for that preseason optimism that just goes that turns into regular season disappointment. I I might be falling for it again this year, but like I think the win total line reflects a little bit of the hesitancy to like not to expect too much from this highly talented roster because they do have a talented roster, like they have a top 10, top 15 talented roster just based on the guys that are signed on this team and. I mean, you got absolute, absolute blue, blue chippers in Herbert a- Allen, Joey Bosa, and Derwin James. Like, those guys are all, like, Pro Bowl starting caliber players. And I think this team is just due for some positive some some positive luck. I mean, like I said all earlier on this coverage, like, all those one-score games that they were missing out on, like, last year they were 30th in field goal luck, 32nd in fumble recovery luck, like, that's that's gotta get better you'd think at some point so i think with a new head coach a new culture in in los angeles you know building an offense around such an excellent young talent in justin herbert i think you know this team has definitely the upside of a double digit win total here this season yeah i mean you talk about field goal luck and fumble luck and you can't have either of those without F-U-C-K. And I think they were saying that a lot last year and the way that those games ended. <laughs> I think this year there's going to be a lot of smiles instead. I think the luck turns around and I think it stays with an L instead of an F. Love it, Connor. That's good stuff. All right, that's going to wrap it up here for the AFC West. Who's your division winner? Obviously, you know. Are we- uh, the Chiefs. Three, two, Chiefs. one. The Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't see how you can pick against them. They're just too good. They're poised for another Super Bowl appearance. Um, Unless just- you want to root for an injury, which you shouldn't. <laughs> uh, I'm not. That, I'm not that much of a degenerate. I would never do that. Would never do that. You got a guy waiting out Mahomes' house with like a club. I bet Neander. You're not playing today. <laughs> Go Pats! Brady's the goal. That is the that is the worst bet in in NFL like preseason that you could possibly do. Betting the under, betting against the Chiefs. It's just it's like why do that to yourself? It's like it's just like betting against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. It's like betting against uh, like the New York Yankees in the early two thousands. It's like betting against like it's just why do like betting against Floyd Mayweather? <laughs> right? It's like oh my god! It's just, betting against Khabib like. <laughs> Like betting against you or me, Benny. I love it. I love it, dude. We're doing a great job on these these previews. We're getting so thorough. We're so in depth here, um, covering just like a myriad of topics. You know, kind of doing a little bit of the hybrid role here between like all the different platforms. We're kind of covering all the different themes and storylines. And um, if you're not listening, I mean, obviously our listeners have made it this far in the podcast. And, you know, they are they are dedicated to our podcast, but like. 
and we're definitely doing these people listening to us at this point like we're doing them a service like they're gonna be doing well in their fantasy season it's, it's gonna raise their floor where like you know you listen to us we're gonna be giving you great advice on fantasy football um gambling and uh advice like we're just doing a pretty great job in our research and uh honestly like i personally feel like i'm gonna benefit a lot from this like i haven't felt more prepared about a a season heading into it than like this year i I feel like i've done so much research that there's no way i'm not gonna have a fancy team that is at least competitive there's no way like i'm not gonna make at least like on average make money on my gambling bets like i'm i'm feeling so prepared i'm feeling so hyped and you know I got to bite my tongue because I'm cursing myself probably, but like I'm just getting so pumped for the season and I'm, I'm really enjoying these podcasts with you, Connor. And I appreciate you doing this with me. Absolutely, brother. You know, it's, it's two 30 AM over here ah, in, in, in trooper, the brother. East coast. And you know, what? it's definitely worth it. I wouldn't have it any other way, brother. Thanks my guy. All right. Hey, make sure you wish Demi happy birthday. I know her birthday is coming up. I'll, I'll shoot her a text. It's Connor's wife. We we passed midnight, so it actually you know technically today tomorrow realistically, but it is her birthday right now. So yeah, nice shout out, Demi baby, I love you. Happy birthday! Thank you for letting me stay up and do things like podcasts with Ben on your birthday. Right. Yeah, I have a I have a similar thing going on in my household. Let's wrap it up here, Connor. Dude, really enjoying this with you. We're gonna continue. Um, you know, podcasting. We're going to be covering the AFC South at our next one. Be sure to tune into that. We're going to finish it up. Are the rest of our AFC previews? You know, uh, probably try to get in a good fantasy advice podcast just before the uh, the fantasy season starts or the regular season starts. So appreciate you all for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Vicious Talk with Benny P on all your uh, all your podcast platforms. We are also on allthingsanalysis.com. Our website is blowing up we're getting a lot of fancy coverage coming into the season we have power rankings we have fantasy rankings we have advice going up on the on the website very soon uh, we're working pretty diligently we've just been so busy with everything with our personal lives and work and covering all this research for the podcast like we're just uh we're just two guys we're trying to handle it all and i think we're uh, we're doing a decent job at doing the best we can to, to help out our listeners and our followers but we'll be better. We promise. <laughs> <I promise. laughs> one, one other thing I want to plug. Uh, September 8th, the day before the kickoff of the NFL season, Ben and I are going to be going live on YouTube. We're giving away a signed Keenan Allen jersey, JSA certified. It's that powder charges blue. We think the team is going to have a great year. We think Keenan Allen is going to have a great year. We want everybody to share in what is going to be a great charger season sign up on our website create a free account you can use your facebook or google password you have to and that's all you need you have to have keenan allen on your fantasy team to win the jersey that's all right we can make that part of it but no no it's not you know what you have to do you have to take 10 seconds go to allthingsanalysis.com you don't have to listen to ben you don't have to draft keenan allen create a free account automatically entered into the Keenan Allen jersey giveaway. We're going to be giving that away live for everyone that enters. Additionally, we're going to have other prizes. We're going to be running trivia live. We're going to have Ben ripping off questions from the Vicious Minute, and we're going to be hitting you hard. We're going to be giving away cards, signed memorabilia. So make sure you join us. Mark it on your calendar the day before the NFL season kicks off, September 8th. 
you're a pro at giving some promos there, buddy. You, you, we should sign you up for the WWE. You could you could cut a promo like and like no other. <laughs> I do a body slam and then hit him with another promo. I like that, dude. I I could definitely see you being a world class wrestler. <laughs> what would my wrestling name be? Big Gangly. <laughs> All right. That, on that note, we're gonna wrap it up here for Vicious Talk with Betty P. Episode seventy six is in the books. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to ask yourself at the end of the day, are you vicious?